All right. First off, I want to welcome all three of you to uh, Keyhole Conversations. This is Grant's second time being on the show, but Lisa and Tiffany, this is your first time being on the show. So, Oh, hey. virgins. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you guys very much for agreeing to kind of do this conversation. I've never, I've done podcasts with multiple people, but this is going to be a little bit of a learning curve to where we try not to talk over each other. But if you do and get excited, what the hell, that's what this is all about is just to have fun anyways. Um, but to my left, I have Tiffany right across from me, Grant. And then to my right, I have Lisa. And I invited all three of you guys on this episode because I really kind of wanted to dive into how different age groups perceive the current world as it is and kind of the contrast of difference in experience and things of that nature. So let's start with Tiffany. Will you give us just a slight first intro into your age, what year you were born, and just like your a slight little upbringing of like where you grew up at? Okay. Um, I was born in 72. So this year, next month, I actually turned 52. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about it. To be perfectly honest, I used to be terrified of it. Um, but I grew up, um, I was born in, uh, in Montrose, Colorado. Um, but as a small child, moved out here to Utah with my family and grew up mainly in the Kearns West Valley area. You know, not super great areas, but not terrible ones either. You know, not too bad to raise families. So. Gotcha. And uh, Grant? Well, I was born in Burbank, California. But at age 12, I moved to Page, Arizona, and that's kind of where I grew up. And then back in the 90s, I moved up here to the Salt Lake area. And what is your age? Um, 66. 66. Born in 57. Right on. So we got going to be 52. Grant's at 66. And right to my right, we have Lisa, the youngest in the room. That sounds about right. Um, that's pretty <laughs> normal for me. Uh I'm Lisa. I was born in 1996, so I'm 27. Um, born and raised in Utah, so uh, I moved a lot of like I moved around a lot throughout my life. So I kind of started at one point like I lived in a trailer park in like South Jordan. Um, I've lived in Kearns before, Taylorsville. Um, I've lived in like the housing project projects at one point when I was younger. And I've just kind of always stayed here, which is kind of interesting because when you venture out, you start to realize like how conservative Utah actually really is. And so every time I leave Utah, it's always like way different. So yeah, born and raised here. Born and raised here. That, and that's the same with me. Um, I'm your host, Marcus, and I am going to be 34 in April, but currently I'm still hanging on to that 33. Um and I used to be one of those people that like feared aging so much, but it's interesting that you bring that up, Tiffany, that you're not really worried about it anymore because in talks with you in the past, you kind of were a little bit. I was. Yeah. And so that's kind of one thing I want to start with is like me as being in my thirties and I always kind of feared aging because it was like, oh man, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to adult. I don't want to do all of these things. I want to just be young, dumb, and have fun for the rest of my life, but that's not how life really plays out. So 
Um, but recently, cause I thought when I turned 30, I was like, this is it. Life's over. You know, everyone tells me it's downhill from thirties and I got a very different experience. I actually really have enjoyed every year in my thirties and it's been nothing but adventure, fun and great experiences. Tiffany, why, what was it? The fear of aging for you? The fear of aging? Uh, it was, it was mainly my looking older. That's definitely, it, it's still a fear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, great. just with our society, you know, um, the other was, um, getting older in my family, because as I go back and I do the ancestry stuff, um, and, you know, listen to things that my mother said in the past, the women on my mom's side of the family didn't live past 45. And so for me early in life, that was my fear was hitting my forties and 30 was really old. You know, you're 21 and 30 is very old. So when you hit 30, you're like, this is it. Kind of like what you said. And then I'm getting closer and closer to 40, but I am, I, I decided to do everything in my power to make sure that I stayed a little as healthy as I could so that I could maybe break that cycle of women in my family dying very, very young. Um, and so that was the, the biggest fear. And then once I hit the forties, you know, and, and you're like, my mind is still young. I, I, I love metal music. I love horror. I go to metal concerts with my teenagers, you know, I'm up there banging my head. I'm in the middle of the pit and it was just a good time. So I learned once I got to my forties and I was a little bit healthier, a lot healthier than, you know, previous women, in my family, that it wasn't over, <laughs> but it was rough. You know, I was struggling through, um, mental health issues as I think about every person on the planet, I swear. And the forties were hard. They were hard, but I enjoyed them also. I also knew that it wasn't over. And then once I got to 50, it was like, okay, I really got to get my crap together and I've got to start working on this mental health and figuring it out. And so once I did that, I mean, 50 is just, I don't even care. And who cares about the looks either? <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to grow older is um, how I'm looking at it. It's a privilege to start looking older, too, because it's just the cycle of life. That's natural. That's what we do. And now that I've gotten the mental health piece in check, I'm, I'm excited. I'm just I'm excited to see what my new adventures are. That's awesome. So, Grant, Grant did you ever have a fear of growing old? No. I, I still feel like I'm 22 in my head, you know. Yes. Uh, my body's, you know, a little bit, but nothing major. You know, uh, I get around good and everything, you know, I'm active. Uh, um, I kind of quit doing birthdays after I reached 21 where I could buy beer and cigarettes legally, but I was buying them when I was 12 anyways. So it didn't really matter. It's just now that I'm that age, I'm legal, but, uh, the years go by and I just, I, I really don't count them. Or, or anything like that. And I'm really not worried about it. The only thing now is I know time's getting shorter, you know, but I'm sort of fatalistic on all that because nobody knows when. Could be tomorrow, could be 20 years from now. I don't know. I really don't care. 
it's going to happen. Ain't nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to live my life day to day till I no longer wake up. And then, you know, I ain't going to know that day anyways. So it's, it's no big deal. Age doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. You just said, um, you know, no one really knows. And just recently at work, one of my coworkers just lost their son to brain cancer at 32 years old. And then one of my good friends at 51 years old just had an aneurysm and he's laid up in the hospital. And now for the foreseeable future, it's kind of in a vegetable state. And so I think a lot of people like put too much uh, weight into the aging equals death because it's true. You, you never know when your time is up. And I used to really do that. Think about age equaling death. And then your mind just does this spiral thing and you just fear aging. I, I really don't think about it. I just live day to day, you know. If I wake up tomorrow, great. I go live another day. If I don't, I don't know. So what does it matter? <laughs> you know. So I'm here today, and I'm trying to live my life, you know, the best I can now, and do the things I want to do now. You know, and now that I quit working, it's even better. You know, because I can go do what I want. I got don't got to answer to anybody. You know, I just get up, go take photographs, and. You know, and do your thing. Yeah, Lisa, being the youngest in the uh, this group, you're 27. Do you fear your 30s that are approaching, or is that kind of fine with you? I think like the concept of like time and aging is kind of a weird place to be. Um, I'm not entirely scared of being 30, right? It's not actually like age or like aging that freaks me out. It's more of like the uncertainty of like where life can take you throughout the years that freaks me out right because it is like you like you guys have all been saying it's not promised there's times where like you go through super hard moments and then you go through like times where you just feel like you're on top of the world and that's kind of a crazy feeling just being 27 um so 30s don't really freak me out like ages aging that doesn't freak me out but I know that like you know, throughout time you go through different challenges and there's a lot of like uncertainty and with also like having two young kids that kind of like freaks me out because the older I get, right, the older they get. And so that freaks me out, but it's not actually, cause I think like aging is a beautiful thing. Like it doesn't, the more that you go through life, it is like everything you have your goods, but you have bads, but the goods are good. You know, like you get opportunities to travel the world or meet new people, get more cultured. So I've never really had like an unhealthy relationship with like aging, getting older or the concept of dying because it's just inevitable. It's going to happen at one point and you can either kind of just accept it and take the waves as it comes and the growth and the lessons or you could be so stressed out about it that you're missing all of those, you know? So I just try to like stay present. It's, it's hard because I am 27. I am very young. I haven't, I haven't learned a whole lot in this world, but I have also learned a lot. And so it's kind of weird being in this position because you're not quite 21, but you're still young enough to remember what it was like to be 21 with details, you know? Yeah. I think, um, so I used to get a lot of, uh, like in my twenties, the one thing that would always drive me nuts is I'd always hear from more mature, older adults, 
you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know this. You don't know that. And I get with age comes wisdom. But also, I think a lot of people discount that could be older, like people that are younger. Experiences, you know. Like- we all, we all got to learn and we learn by doing whether right or wrong. If you do it right, great. If you do it wrong, you may pay a consequence for it. You well, know? and hopefully you learn something yeah, from it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I had a thought and it's left me. Well, so. while you're trying to get it back, I kind of want to <laughs> do an interesting little thought experiment. Um, so I myself, we're the younger in the room. Mm-hmm. If you could jump forward in a time machine to an age would you like to see yourself at a certain age and where you're at? Uh, it's kind of funny, actually. I would like to see 50s, you know, because I think, by the way, you look fantastic. I was actually shocked. <laughs> like, genuinely shocked. I was like, whoa, you are what I want to be. Um. <laughs> I think there's a there's a little trick to that. I think that the closer you get to your 30s, that the um, younger, these older ages start to look to you. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah, such a trick. I, I actually know. I believe that. And I, I would go to 50 because I feel like at that point in your life, you've already kind of dealt with the insecurities of life, right? You've gone through them. You've had people tell you who you are. You've had to figure out who you are. And then you've had to figure that out a million different times. Like, you, you know, just being 27, I can't tell you how many different phases and changes I've already been through. But I feel like after 50, it just doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you're just here to be there. You want to experience life. You want to, like, know your people, love your people, right? I feel like you're a little more open-minded to things as, like, when you're younger, you haven't seen as much of the world, so it's easier to be kind of judgmental on things. But when you've seen enough of it and you've, like, learned enough about people and just how human they are, I think it makes it easier to experience. But it. I think I think in your younger age, you think you know everything, mm-hmm. and you don't, you know. And and I don't have a problem with that, you know. We we're all young. We we all thought we knew everything, and you know, you couldn't tell me what to do and shit like that. But you know, as you get older, you realize you don't know everything. But I never stop learning. Okay, so. I can learn from a 20 year old if, if, if they want, you, you know, if they tell me something, I, I'm open to going, you're right. Absolutely. You know? I, I actually learn from my 23 um, year old son every single day. My gosh, I enjoy talking to him. Um, he, I call him an old soul all the time. He's always been like that. And people are drawn to him. Strangers just want to talk to him, period. Um, and so I really enjoy talking to him because, um, and I, and maybe it's the generation and maybe we'll, we'll probably dive into this a little bit more later on, but he has access to so much information just in the palm of his hand, stuff that you and I didn't have access to. And he really, he's on the spectrum. He's ADHD. Um, and he just, he reads a lot. And so he, there's a plethora of knowledge in this brain. And when I talk to him, you know, judgments and opinions that I've had through most of my life, he challenges those and he makes me think. And he's actually helped me to change my way of thinking and pointed out wrongs, you know. And I don't think that I would have um, been able to accept taking information from somebody so young um, when I was in my 30s or my 40s. 
Um, and I think there's a help of other mental health um, modalities that I've been using that help kind of clear my mind and make me more open. So maybe that's it. But my therapist, my therapist is 26 years old. Oh, wow. He walked out, you know, transitioned from my 23-year-old son, um, transitioned to my therapist now. And he walks out and I looked at him and went, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? But it took me six months to get to see him. And so he asked me straight up, he says, um, are you going to have a problem with my age? And I looked at him, I says, you know, you went to school for this. I didn't. Um, let's do this. And he is my favorite person in the world. I love him. Yeah, I am. Um, He's given me great advice. <laughs> I had a very similar experience. I, I've had um, this same family doctor since I grew up all the way till uh, two years ago. And he retired, so I had to get a, a new doctor that took over his patient load. And I was sitting in the waiting or the the exam room, whatever. And in walks his doctor, and I'm used to sixty year old doctors, and he's thirty three. And I'm like, "What the fuck? <laughs> like, you're my age." <laughs> I'm gonna listen to you, pimple popper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm kind of. You, if I could jump forward to an age, I would want to see 53 because I've been kind of fortunate that I chose a career that has a pension and retirement with the state of Utah that as government workers, we don't get paid nearly enough, I don't think, but our benefits on the other end are pretty good. So at 53, I can actually be fully retired collecting my uh, retirement benefits. So I'm interested to see what is Marcus, what position is he going to be in at that time? And what am I going to go do and explore? Now, for you two, I um, kind of a different question, but in the same realm. If there was an age you could go back to, what would it be? I would. I'd probably want to go back to my mid-20s, you know. Had a lot of fun back then. It was carefree, and I didn't really care about anything, you know. So I was just. Is there anything you would take back to your mid-20s self and tell that person? smarten up and plan for the future <laughs> which i didn't do till i hit like 64 and then it's like oh i'm retired with all my 401k and everything you know i've got enough money to i'm living okay but i'm not living you know up in park city yeah you know? so but I, I can make it on retirement you know but i wish i would have planned ahead you know maybe buy your house when you're younger uh stay out of debt you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't, don't be freaking running up 60 credit cards, you know, and then trying to pay all that off or go out and buy the latest car and whatever, and trying to pay that off, buy the stuff and keep you, keep yourself debt free more or less. That's, that's what I would probably do over. Awesome. I'd actually go back to mid thirties. I really liked my thirties. Um, I, I felt young enough that I could do the things that I want to want to do like physically. And I felt like I had learned a lot too. The finances were under better control. You know, I had a baby young and you know, finances weren't always good. <laughs> what age did you have your first kid? Um, 19, 19, 19 and, um, you know, was on state assistance and, you know, got welfare and WIC and, you know, food stamps and all the things. So, and then, you know, my husband and I got married and he was in the military and had great benefits. 
So, but yeah, I like, I like the, my mid thirties. Um, one of the things I would tell my, my younger self too is, um, stay out of debt. Um, things aren't as important as we believe they are. You can't take one of them with you. And, you know, we've got this, this great home, you know, you've been to my house. We have this great home. We didn't pay very much for it, but we've put a lot of money into it to make it a comfortable space. But sometimes I feel chained to it. I'm very envious of people who stayed smaller, bought less, and spend more time out and about, you know. Although I have a great space for my adult children when they're struggling, and I have two that are struggling a lot right now. Um, just mental health and, you know, things are expensive. Oh, God. And jobs, they're not as readily available, you know. Anyhow, and then I would have uh, told myself to uh, bite the bullet, stop being afraid, and go back to college. Gotcha. For something I was interested in, not something they, my mother told me I needed to be interested in. It's interesting so. that you uh, you mentioned the um, the like smaller living, you know, not grand, mm-hmm. um, because I constantly will get like comments from my family or even friends like, "When are you going to sell that home in Magna and upgrade?" I'm like. Why? I'm not going to, but you got all this equity. Do you see how much homes are now? That equity isn't going to translate to yeah. crap. And I'm lucky enough that I bought this home before the quote unquote housing crisis where people who are buying homes now younger, uh, like in their twenties to thirties, I feel bad for these people. Sure, that, that with the interest rates going up, you know, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm at 2.8. Why would I want to jump in a six or seven percent interest rate right now? Yeah, we're in, we're in the same situation, and we bought our home in 2008, April, um, right before the bottom fell out of the housing market. Oh, yeah. um, and we bought it. We bought cheap. You know, our house was large. The reason that we ended up out there was because um, it was 227 thousand. House in West Jordan, where we were wanted to live, was five hundred thousand, the size that we bought. And um, the moment that we bought the house, we lost about fifty thousand dollars in equity. Mm. The moment we signed the papers, and that doesn't happen with homes very often. And then uh, a few months later, there were probably um, anywhere between ten and a dozen homes on that street that were gone. I mean, they were uh, foreclosed on. People lost their houses, and we—I lost my job the day that we. Um, signed the papers, we closed on our house. And mm-hmm. so for my husband and I to even keep our house right now, um, through all of that, me not working was short of a miracle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we, we were glad that we bought ours right before everything hit back in 2008. And now it, it's just even worse. Oh, yeah. I, I remember searching for a home with my, at that time, wife and certain cities get stigmas and things like that. And so we were trying to move into quote unquote, a good city, West Jordan, South Jordan. But at that time, those homes were 250, $300,000 for what we could afford. And they were junk. I mean, they were those, um, HUD homes, you know, things of that nature. And then we finally found this one out here and we paid 160,000 for it. And I was, everyone's like, but Magna, I'm like, Everything works in the house. Everything is, there's, I mean, there were things I had to fix, but the homes we were looking at in those nice areas, it was like, we're going to have to drop 30 grand to make this home livable, you know, holes in the walls, carpets totally destroyed. So that's a 
that's an interesting point that I kind of had as well. Now, I kind of want to ask each one of you, throughout your lives, um, has there been one pivotal moment that was extremely rough for you, but you learned a lot from? And I will start off. My pivotal moment came when I turned 26. That's when my marriage fell apart, found out my wife was having an affair, um, and I thought my life was over. I was like, how am I going to crawl out of this? How am I going to continue? And I remember I kind of got a little, uh, not suicidal, but I went through major depression. And my father had noticed. He's like, well, let's get you out of the house. Let's let's go somewhere. Let's get your mind kind of free and off this. And he asked me where I wanted to go. And at the time, I wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. And so we went down to the Grand Canyon. If you haven't seen the Grand Canyon before, that vast landscape is so enormous. And I remember sitting at the edge of the cliff on the Grand Canyon and just telling myself, your problems are really so insignificant in the grand scheme of the world and the universe. Just put your nose to the grindstone and get yourself out of this and don't give up. And I always remember that, like when I think about hard times that I was going through, I'm like, wow, I, I made it out of that with a great support system of friends and colleagues But I was facing, like, I didn't know how I was going to afford this house on my own um, and all of those things, but I eventually made it work and I got through that. So that's like one moment in my life that I was like, wow, it was a terrible nightmare, but I got out of it and became a better person on the other side. So going to Lisa, is there something in your life, in your 27 years that has been like a super pivotal moment for you? I think that's what's crazy is I've, I've actually just gone through so many, but if we were to go through my first very like harsh lesson in life, um, I was 19 years old and I had been in a relationship with the same guy since I was 14 years old and uh, it was not a very good relationship. There was a lot of problems there and we ended up in a financial bind where like I had a condo, right? But he could not keep a job. He was spending my money, right? And I had lost, lost that place. And at this moment in time, my mom, they couldn't help me move out. I had three days to get out, right? And she, like she and my family went camping and I was kind of just stuck in this position where I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had a whole house, right? And so I had this friend and we're not going to, we're not going to names, but she was like, well, just come and live in, live with me and live in my basement, right? So we moved all of my stuff over there. Well, in this time period of being with her, um, she, I find out that she was addicted to meth and heroin. And so I've never messed with those drugs. But, you know, at this point in time, like we had people trying to break into this house, you know, just her owing money. Lots, once again, being a very bad relationship. And... Uh, at this point, like I had found out that like there was just a lot of really bad things happening in this house. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to like put this plan together. Obviously, you know, kid, like people don't think like there's not a lot of rationalism when you're on drugs. Right. So she had asked me, she was like, can you take me to California? Just drop me off there at a rehab center and then come back and I will get help. That way I don't know anybody, whatever. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll go. I'll go to this and 
my ex, he was supposed to move our stuff out while we were gone. He moved all of his stuff out. Um, and so I take her to California and she is just literally doing drugs on the car in the hotel and she won't go to the rehab center. Right. And so we bring, we come back to Utah and he had moved all of his stuff out and left all of my stuff in. And at this point in time, she was upset and she kept everything right. I had like momentums from my grandma, who was very important to me, and she had shattered stuff on the ground. You know, everything was just trashed. And all I had to my name was all of my ex's stuff, a mattress and a suitcase full of clothes, you know, and I had nothing. I moved into my mom's basement. She didn't have any room for me. So I was living in her living room. And then like a month after that, my me and my ex split, um, you know, there was there was cheating. There was a lot of other things that was just really bad in that relationship. And I just was sitting there like turning 20 years old. Um, nothing to my name. I own nothing. And in this moment, it was weird because I, I learned that I'm not materialistic anymore. Right. Things used to matter so much to me. But when you lose everything. Right. Even things that like you thought you would never lose because these are like momentums throughout your life. These are very important things. And then they're just gone and you can't get them back. It's. Like I lost my car, I lost my, lost my place, I lost everything, you know, I'm just sitting here and I lost my job and I just remember feeling so helpless in this moment, right? Like I, I didn't know where my life was, but I definitely felt like, I was like, man, I am like 20 years old at this point and I didn't know if I was going to make it to 23, you know, there's a lot of like really bad depression that comes with that and also just being so young and like being in a situation like that, I, I didn't really know how to handle it. And it's kind of weird to think of like in these moments, they always feel so helpless. Um, and then, you know, a few months later and you kind of process it and you go through it, you've learned so much. Like I learned that things don't matter. People matter. Time matters. Right. It's like, it's one thing that you can't get back when you give somebody your time. It's like, it's gone. You know, it's like, you can't rewind time. And it makes it so valuable in that moment. And that's why I enjoy people. And I enjoy when people give me their time because they're, they're giving me something they can never get back. Right. And it's also something that I can never give back. And that just all of a sudden made me realize that that meant more than anything I could ever own or like do. And it just showed me like a different appreciation and a different life for things that I never even thought about before until I was in that situation. And still to this moment that was probably my most my most like I the biggest lesson I had like I've learned so many like I've I've you know I have gone through suicidal thoughts I've had I like I went through a really bad time in my life where I almost didn't make it out of it you know what I mean like I had an actual experience with like death where I almost died and when I go through these different moments in my life I realize that like they're just moments, you know, like you, you go, you're supposed to go through them. You're supposed to feel them, but you're not supposed to let them stop you. You're just supposed to keep going through them. Right. Because you learn so much from these things and I've learned so much like value in just people, but just in myself, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting through like 20 being 27 years. I feel like I have gone through more realizations than a lot of people that like are in their fifties and stuff. Um, 
just due to like experiences that I went through at such a young age and like learning sides of things that I never thought I was ever going to see, you know? And now I'm just like, I'm very open to like other people's opinions, other people's lives. And it just really came down to that moment, you know, that moment of just realizing that like people aren't always what they seem. Moments aren't always what they seem and things don't matter, you know, like they really don't. It's like, uh, my cousin always tells me he's, he tells me when things start getting rough and I think too much, he just tells me, keep it simple, stupid, right? <laughs> just keep it simple. It's important to not overlook things like, cause they're not that big, you know? Yeah. I think that would be a great tattoo. Just yeah. the acronym. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah. it simple, stupid, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. that's, that's the motto for life. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that'll be my motto it's helped me a lot I'm telling you that and um you know I'd ask him to do something and he would tell me like one time I, when I first moved in right I was like oh look at these weeds I was like will you go pull that he's like not my weeds not my problem <laughs> right and so through life he just told me this and like when I would have like complications of always trying to bail people out because uh I have gone through these things I created a really stable place for me because I realized that like I need to have me because in these moments I lost everything when I was counting on other people and you and nobody actually really like it's not anybody's responsibility you know it's not your job to make me happy it's not your job to make sure I'm okay it's my job to make sure I'm okay but thank you for being a part of it right and just going through these moments every time I'd get really upset about taking on other people's stuff he'd just look at me he's like not your problem you know not your kids not your problem not your house not your problem not your job not your problem. And it's like, you can be there for people. Right. And of course it's like, yeah, you want to listen, you want to support people. But as soon as they're gone, it's not your problem. You do not need to take it with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can be supportive and you can love people and you can try to help them. But it's like, as soon as it starts coming home with you, you just made somebody else's problem, your problem. And it's not. That's so true. And I, that's something that I'm slightly envious of you because you seem to have figured that out really at a younger age. And right now I'm currently doing that because I'm a problem solver mm-hmm. and I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for people so much so that sometimes I will take on their problems as my own when I shouldn't be. And it's very detrimental to my mental health because then I start focusing on how can I f- help this person, this person, and then I forget about me. Mm-hmm. And then I like wake up and realize, holy shit, you've been you know, taking on all this mental health for other people that you neglected your own. Mm -hmm. So that, that's awesome. I'm glad that you've learned that throughout your life. Shoot. I've just barely learned that. Um, yeah, just barely. Grant, is there a time in your life that stands out? No. (laughs) My biggest problem was I never had any goals in life. Okay. So I just kind of skated through school, you know, never thought about what am I going to do after school? You know, am I going to go to college, be, be a lawyer, doctor, whatever. No, never, it should never cross my mind, but I was always partying in high school. That was the only thing that mattered to me. Drugs, getting drunk, hanging out, having fun, partying, you know, into high school. I'm like, huh, what am I going to do? You know, still, still no plan. So I was working for this company. They needed a truck driver, so they ended up training me. And then after that, I always say I was too lazy to go find a fucking real job after that. So for the <laughs> next 50 years, I skated by in truck driving. And I, I mean, I was really good at it, and I enjoy it, you know. 
So it's not that I don't mind, but I, I never applied myself to anything. And, and at times I regret that, you know, some of the shit. I, I, I could have done better, you know, but I didn't. And it wasn't until, you know, a little over two years ago, I finally picked up a camera and it was like, fuck, that became my passion. And, and now it's like, I wish somebody would have put a camera in my hand 50 fucking years ago, you know, <laughs> but that didn't happen, but that's, that's what I enjoy doing now. So I'm going to do it. And that's kind of my life passion, life goal. So, you know, do I regret some of the decisions I make? Sure. You know, but I can't go back and change it. You know, um, I wish I would have had more free time over the last 50 years because truck driving, you have no free time. You have no home time. You have no family life. Yeah. You can't, you can't join a bowling league. You can't join a softball league. You can't, if you make plans to go to your kid's birthday party, guess what? Ain't going to happen, you know? So, and all those things, you know, sometimes, you know, I regret a lot of it. Regret I, I, I didn't get to spend as much time with my daughter, which I, I should have, and I'm sure she resents me for it, you know, um, on some levels. But, again, I can't go back and change that now, you know. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of like skated through life, man. No goals, you know. So, I don't know, maybe... If you're in school, maybe think about it. Try and plan what you want to do, what you want to become or whatever ahead of time, you know. Like I said, I, I skated through and it was just like even keel, you know, the whole time. You have these little up and down ridges, you know, but there was nothing traumatic or, or any earth shaking thing that ever happened in my life that, you know, if, if I lost a job, it's no big deal. I'll go find another one tomorrow. You know, driving trucks, everybody needs truck drivers. Ain't no biggie. Oh, yeah. I tell everyone, if you want a, a solid, like, job that you can take anywhere within America, get a CDL. Because <laughs> yeah. it goes everywhere. Um, one thing I kind of notice and pick up on you, and it's something that I try to uh, apply to my life now, is you, you say, like, skating through life, and I, I understand that, but there's this saying that, like, if you live in the past, you're living in depression. If you live in the future, you're living anxiously. But if you live in the present, you're truly living life. And that's that's where I, I that's where I live is day to day. The present, you know, right now. I can't predict the future. I I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I can maybe plan for a few things like you know I want a new lens, save up the money to buy that. That's a week down the road, mm -hmm. ten years down the road, couldn't tell you. Have no interest in it to tell you the truth. I don't live in the past because that's already gone. Can't do anything about Can't it. Can't change mm -hmm. it, yeah. you know. Um, regrets, sure, but regrets don't change anything now. You live in the present. And, and what's funny is it's the same thing with, like, dogs. Dogs don't live in the future. They don't live in the past. They live in the now. The only thing they're worried about is their next meal, okay? <laughs> Sleep and eat in their next meal. That's it. That's basically where I'm at, okay? And have always been my whole life, you know? I don't, I don't worry about things I can't change or, or project. 
like like my wife, you know, she will say she's got something planned. She will think about this over and over and have conversations of how it's going to go, how this meeting's going to go, what I'm going to say, what they're going to say, you know, and invariably it's nothing like you thought, you know. <laughs> so, so same thing, coming in today with you, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I'm not sitting there in my head all day today going, well, I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to talk about this. Or Marcus is going to ask. No, my wife would do that, but I don't. I have no idea what you're going to ask. And I will just talk about the things that you bring up, but there's really nothing that I'm projecting in the future to what, you know, I, I'm, I'm not having this conversation in my head about, huh, you know, where my wife does that. She's living in the future. And, and there was a great song or a great album, I think it was by Jethro Tull, Living in the Future Past. And that's kind of what she does. So by the time you get to the future, that's already past anyways. So you only have the present, the now. Yeah, in and opinion. I... I am work. I am currently working on being much better at living in the present because, me myself, I have a really hard time of one living in the past and, kind of like being like, oh, I can't believe you did that or did this. But I'm starting to learn to that, that's the old you. That's not the you now. And then, but another thing that I'm working on in my 30s is, not worrying about the future. Like I will get so anxious about stupid things like a doctor's appointment. I will sit here and I'll be like, they're going to find this. And then I ruminate on it and it doesn't go away. And then I do go to the doctor's appointment and everything is fine. Just like you said, I will come out of there. Like you went in there worrying for three weeks and you came out, you made a a mountain out of a molehill. Mm -hmm. And I find that that is something that I've had to learn to process and get over as I've gotten older. And it's just now this year that I'm learning to actually emotionally start to control those things. Tiffany, is there a time in your life? Um, there's quite a few. I would say the the biggest and the, the one that lasted the longest um, was actually my husband's deployment to Afghanistan. Um, he was in Afghanistan um, from 2006 to 2007, and he was gone about 15 months. So um, got to come home for two weeks. I got to see him for um, 12 hours once um, during his deployment. He was here in the United States um, with the Afghan National Army, and they were training him here in Missouri, I think, in the, in the States. Anyhow... Um, so during that time, I mean, obviously like I'm a single mom, but I have the benefit of a second income, you know, and it, it was, it was a strange time. I learned, I learned a lot about myself. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, I made a lot of mistakes that have, um, damaged my children. Um, but I learned that I was, um, stronger than I thought because I had been married for, my gosh, uh, been married for 14 years when he deployed. And so I got really dependent on him, of course. And, you know, having him gone for 15 months, I learned that I could do it if I had to. I was definitely more independent than I thought. I was stronger than I thought. Um, and I could, I could do everything. I was really afraid that I couldn't 
do it because it'd been a long time since I did everything. I've been a single mom before, but it was three years and I was 19 and I had the help of my parents, you know? Um, and so I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my children and I learned different ways to, to kind of help my kids through some of those hard times. I learned how to be better with my finances. I learned how to be better with my health. You know, I told myself, and I know this, I just picked the biggest and the longest pivotal moment. There's been a lot. We could sit here, all of us could sit for days and talking about possibly our awful childhoods and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> anyhow, um, what I did and I, and I made a lot of new friends and I did a lot of big things. You know, I was the, was in the family readiness group. Um, so the FRG, I wasn't the leader in the beginning, but so I had to help organize, keep informed almost 165 other spouses and make sure that they were okay during the deployment. Oh, this was during the, your yeah. okay. Yeah, during the deployment. So I was responsible for myself, but 160-something other spouses who were also having a hard time and struggling. Um, my friend, um, she was actually the, the family readiness group leader. I supported her. When her husband got injured, he um, came back home early, and then I took over from there. While my husband was deployed, I organized the largest with 33 other states, um, the largest supporter our troops rally in the country and in the history of the country. Um, We had uh, supporter troops rally on the same day, 33 different states all at the same time. And I was really surprised at what I could do. Like, you know, next thing you know, I'm I'm trying to get people there, people at the rally, and I'm talking to um, the Patriot Guard I'm talking to the Gold Star Mothers. I'm talking to the Gold Star Fathers. I'm talking to the Blue Star Mothers. Do you guys know what that means, Gold mm-hmm. Star, Blue Star? I, I don't. What is? Um, a Gold Star parent or you know spouse is one that's lost their soldier oh. in a war. Um, and then the Blue Stars, you have somebody that you love that's deployed. So, And I got to meet really, really amazing, great people. That, do you guys know who the Patriot Guard is? Patriot Guard is a, a group of... Um, motorcycle group and they support troops you know um they were standing with the westboro baptist not with them but um shielding soldiers families um from the westboro baptist church at one point and i got to meet those guys i mean i organized a, there was 150 of them that came to my rally and they came rolling in all of them in their motorcycles with flags flying and they pulled up and they spoke on behalf of soldiers. I mean, I had bands there. I rented a stage and a sound system. I got on talk shows, like, well, not talk shows, but um, radio stations, you know, FM 100, K-Bearer. I mean, I was on all of them. I was talking, talking to Fox 13 News. And I'm not, <clears throat> I have a problem with public speaking. <laughs> and so for me to get, like, do this, um, with the help of a handful of friends, you know, raising money to pay for everything, the hot dogs, get the vendors, everything. It was, it was a huge thing for me. And yeah, like I was so proud of what I did. And it, the only sad part was, is that my husband wasn't there to see what I had accomplished while he was gone. And I think, I think you two share this very common, uh, theme where, you both have 
proved to yourselves that as women, you could accomplish things on your own. Because I think a lot of women um, in my throughout my life and seeing things have always been very reliant on their spouse. And I mean, you are, you want to be in, you know, it's a team thing, Mm -hmm. but you guys have also proven to yourselves that we can do this on our own where some people never do that. They almost always need someone, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of hand holding them throughout the world. And I think women tend to suffer from self-esteem issues more than men do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I think that's where women need to change their attitude. They, they need to start believing in themselves that they can do all this stuff. But when you have assholes telling them you're worthless and shit like that, you know, you know, from your parents on down and parents, parents seem to fuck up everything. Every kid, you we, know, we do. And, Even and though we think we're, we're doing better. Yes. I, I actually had a conversation with my mom about this before she passed. Um, <clears throat> And I'm sorry, she passed away in August. So, um, but she was angry with me because I'm a TMI person. I will give you way too much information. I'll talk to you about anything. Taboo subjects, everything. <laughs> I don't care. I don't get uncomfortable about it. And I had said something on social media and my mom called me up and she's like, our house wasn't like that. And I shared with her a memory that I had mm-hmm. and she just she was silent for a very long time and she felt really bad. I could tell, but my mother, my mom grew up in a violent house. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of love and, you know, it's like I told her on the phone that day, I says, you can only do better than your parents did and you're not going to get it perfect. You're just not. And so you did better. Yeah, I had kind I lived in kind of a violent house myself, but my mom shielded me from that quite a lot. Um, she worked really, really hard um, to make sure that we were always we always had something to eat, we always had clothes to wear, and we always had somewhere warm to stay. Um, and eventually, you know, things got better in my house. And my my stepdad was a he was a good man. Um, he wasn't always a good man. But he learned to be, you know, a drug addiction was very prevalent in my house, alcoholism. And she did do better than her parents did. And it's been it's been interesting once I turned, you know, got into my 50s. And I've, I've done a lot of healing and I've mentioned it. And I did that healing through psychedelics. And I don't know if I could be here and be as happy as I am right now. And have the relationships that I have with my children right now without the psychedelics. Um, so it's been difficult to sit back and talk to my children. And, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way that or felt the same way that my mother did the moment that she called me and was upset with me because I'm telling lies about our family, you know. And it's been hard to sit down with my own children and have them tell me things that hurt them, that damage them, that, you know, they're recovering from, that they're trying to heal from. And, but I don't, I don't, it's hard to hear, but I didn't get defensive like my mom did. 
And I have been able to, because I've done a great deal of healing myself, I've been able to um, apologize to my children, get forgiveness from them, and listen to those stories. My, my, I didn't realize that all of my kids um, looked at their dad as an absent father. My husband and I have been married 30 years. My husband and I, you know, couples fight. We don't have the kind of arguments that happened in my house. Um, those arguments were awful and, and terrifying, actually. And my husband and I didn't do that kind of stuff. We had arguments. And so I looked at us as a very stable couple that was very loving, and we spent time with our children. But you still don't realize that there is some shit that you're doing to your kids. Sometimes it's the smallest remark, you know, that, I've done that. your parents have said to you, and you can, hold on to you, forever. Can, yeah, <laughs> they, they can change your whole psyche. Yeah. You know, and, and that's baggage you carry with you the rest of life. Could be a fear of doing something or fear of something. You know, my, my parents used to argue. For the most part, it wasn't bad. But when I was younger, my dad did hit my mom a few times and it scared the fuck out of me you know I was like three four years old and it scared the fuck out of me but I had made up my mind that is never going to be an issue in my life once again you can only do better never see that happen you know so I've always tried to treat women with respect you know and and everything but it's it's just some those little issues bullying you know these kids that get bullied at school it's life-altering, it's life-changing, and it fucks them up. And they don't know how to handle it, they don't know what to do, but it just changes their whole life through no fault of their own. Yeah. And there's no call for it, you know, there's no need for it. So, you know, that's, I, I, I've seen kids bullied throughout my life, you know, even like when we were in Boy Scouts, stuff like that, you know, they'd grab a kid and go pants him, you know. And, and it's tra- traumatic. You think it's you know? innocent. Yeah. <laughs> you do. You think it's fun and everything. funny, <laughs> but it's traumatic to a child, you know, and there's no need for that. So it's, you know, that's one of my biggest things I hate is being mean to kids and being mean to animals. I got no room for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You, um, you had brought up, uh, there's two things I kind of want to touch on. Um, one that you guys talked about, you can only do better than the past experience with your parents and things of that nature. My parents, I realize through the, I don't think they really connected that the way they were doing their life screwed with mine so much, but it also gave me this sense of independence where I like, was like, I can't rely on these two individuals as much as I should be able to. So it taught me to be an independent person but there were a lot of things that they do that now in my 30s, I'm looking back on my childhood that I, I'm like, this makes sense why I have this problem. And this makes sense why I have this problem. And then you had just made a statement about how even one little phrase or something that your parents tell you can alter their perceptions of you or the world and my dad. And themselves. Yeah. And themselves. My dad, he had a... Um, it was like two years ago, I was having a conversation with him, innocent conversation, kind of like we are now. And I asked him, what was your biggest regret in life? And he told me having me. Mm-hmm. 
And I looked at him in total shock and disbelief, like, because that makes me feel like, oh, wow, I ruined this individual's life through his actions of having me. And innocently enough, I, I, I didn't react in a way of like, well, fuck you, pal. I just said, and a lot, a lot of people I tell this to, they're like, oh, I'd hate my parents. I can't believe they said that. And I, I just come from it as a sense of at least he expressed himself honestly to me. And now I have to digest that. And he said that, not that I don't love you. I just feel that having you tied me to your mom and your mom ruined my life and all these things. And I think there's one important thing that this man will go to his grave and he he's never learned accountability for his own actions and to realize like, yes, people like my mom was not the best partner to him. But you know what he should have done? is maybe not regretted me, but regretted his choice to stay with my mom for so long and create this huge bad cycle. And like, there's no forgiveness coming from me for him saying that. It's just, it's something that altered my whole perspective and taught me that if I'm ever in that position with a child and the spouse that I'm with is someone who I don't love anymore or can't do things with, I'm not going to stay with that person because I don't want to resent having my child if I have a child in the future. And I don't want to ever put them because I don't think they realize through all of their shitty marriage, they instilled into me these very negative traits. And so going forward, I'm trying to like digest that and get through that. And it's, it's been extremely difficult but it's also like I'm glad he said that because now it gives me a lesson in yes, life. And I, I, and you can do better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or different. Mm-hmm. By the time I was 12, I was already gone in my mind. It's like you're not my family. I don't know who you people are. You know, I don't want to live with you. And and my family was never really loving. You know, my mom and dad didn't show affection. A lot of that had to do with the religious shit. You know, but I was just like. I don't know who these people are. You know, they're not my parents. They're not my family. Like I said, when I moved to Page, I, we lived next door to an Indian family. I ended up staying there. They treated me like a kid, like I was their kid, you know. So they were more my family than my own family. So, you know, you know but like I said, in my mind, by the age of 12, it was like I was gone. I didn't want nothing to do with you people, you know. And I, for the most part, never did, you know, as much as I could stay away from them, I did. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. You say that, that you kind of were almost semi-quasi adopted into this Indian family and they raised you. And I didn't have anyone per se raise me. My parents still raised me, but I found throughout my um, late teens, early twenties and up to now that I have looked at two other older individuals like yourself and things not as like parent figures, but as like role models and, um, what's the word? Um, mentors, Mentors, because I cannot look to my parents as mentors because they just aren't, they, they tried their best, but they got like a D minus from me on their parenting skills. (laughs) I still love them. I realized that, okay, you did better than your parents, I guess, but if I ever have children, I will make sure that I'm not absent from their lives, that I 
I, I understand like fighting and stuff happens, but when it becomes toxic fighting, that it's not going to be fixed, realizing that and making a separation. So you don't take a kid through that negativity. Yeah. And what you'll realize, um, at least I did is that you, you take those lessons, those experiences that you had with your own family and you make a decision to do something different. I keep saying better, but it's not necessarily better. Something different. Um, and, you know, sometimes that something different doesn't, it doesn't turn out the way that it should have, that you hoped that it would. And, you know, honestly, you don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, none of us come with a, uh, yeah, no a manual, <laughs> you know, and then, um, you know, if you have more than one child, they, you know, you think you figured out that manual and then they change it up because mm-hmm. that child's completely different, different personality and everything. So you just, you make those changes and then understand that you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're probably still going to cause some damage to your kids. But I've found what has been beneficial with Myself and my daughter, especially my daughter and I butt heads, my mother and I butted heads. We are all, we are like mirror images of each other, the three women. And my mom, before she passed, she just, I I had hoped to get some apologies or at least some sort of accountability, you know, like you did some wrong. I did some wrong, you know, but I never got it. I never got it um, with my own daughter. I've, I'm doing that. I, I went three and a half years without speaking to my mom. And, and then I only got to see her for three years before she passed. And that was why I started talking to her again was because she was ill. Um, my daughter, fortunately, she only went a year not speaking to me. And I, I felt all the same things that I believe my mother felt when she was dealing with me and when her and I weren't speaking and I was very angry and I was lashing out and I would say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pack, I want her, I'm going to pack up all her crap. I'm going to put it in storage unit and we'll pay for a month. And then if she loses everything, she loses everything. I was Mm -hmm. so mad. And I, I listened to people like it was hard. My mother-in-law had some stuff to say. My oldest son had stuff to say and I wasn't hearing it. Fortunately, I heard it and I let it influence me. And so when I was dealing with my daughter, um, dealing, um, when I was, my daughter and I were experiencing problems, I, anything that I wanted to do, I took a step back and I thought, this is something that your mom would do. How would you react if you do this? And then I tried to do the opposite of what I really was experiencing. It wasn't that I was angry with her. I just missed her and it was turning into anger. And so I, it, it helped a lot. She said that it helped a lot. You know, if I was thinking of her, I just said, Hey, I was making this soup and normally you helped me. And it just made me think of you. I miss you. I love you. I hope everything's okay. My mom, my mom would get drunk and she would leave me horrible voicemails. And eventually I stopped listening to the voicemails. I had a friend listen to him for me. Um, and so we can only make changes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can empathize with you because my mom is a prescription pill addict, doctor prescribed. I don't really hold her at fault because she fell into that addiction along with so many other Americans when the pushing of opiates and that whole crisis came out. 
But I would get messages like that where she was just in La La Land and giving me the ringer about how I am the screwed up problem. But I think one important takeaway is realization. And you seem to have done that and you seem to have seen the bad traits and then taking a step back and saying, okay, how, like, I like how you said you would realize, oh, that's what my mom would do. And this is how it would make me feel. So I don't want to do that to my child. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that mothers and daughters have more of a love hate relationship than mothers and fathers? Cause it seems like a lot of the women I know is like, they hate their mom or they're, you know, hate it's we're about, you, you know, I, I think the, the, the uh, relationship between mothers and daughters, especially at least in, in, in my experience, um, especially in a household where there's only one daughter, there's only one girl. My mom was the, the only girl of five brothers and her, no, her mom was not. Her mom had sisters, I believe. And then I was the only girl, and my daughter is the only girl. And we're just, it's just, it's a, it's a complicated relationship. And I think that we're so alike in a lot of situations. And we want to have a best friend, too. Like, what woman wouldn't want a best friend that lives in their house, and now you can share all these intimate details, and you're laughing and having fun and drinking wine and whatever, you know, that you're doing together. And so what my mom did is she pushed really hard because she didn't grow up with a, 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 a sister, okay? And so she looked to me to be her sister and her best friend, and she thought she was helping me a lot of the time, and what she was really doing, she was just pushing me farther and farther away. I would run in the opposite direction. So maybe it's just, it's just complicated, and maybe quite often it's because we are those mirror images of our mothers. My, my wife. And it just, we her, butt heads. <laughs> Her mother, her mother at one point in life told her, when you die, I don't want anything to do with your corpse. You're not getting buried in the family cemetery. I want nothing to do with you. And my wife, her mother fucked her up bad, you know, just by telling her she was useless, worthless, no good all the time. Didn't matter what she did, you know, somebody else was always better. And it makes she, me sad. She was always. For her. She was always trying to get resolution, you know, her, get her mom to own up and say, you know, I did this and I fucked up. And I told her, I said, your mother is never going to give you that. She will never give you that. She's going to hold on to that. And she never did till the time she died. She same with got nothing from her. Same, same with my mom. Um, I, and, and I don't. I never intended to turn this into a advertisement for um, psychedelics, <laughs> but Marcus. I mean, one of one of the ways that Marcus and I got a little bit closer was because um, I I helped with the um, legalization of medical cannabis in Utah. Um, you know, collected signatures, talked to legislators, um, testified at a couple of committee meetings, stuff like that, and so it naturally led me to psychedelics. Um, if it if it weren't for those, um, I don't think that I would have been able to make the changes that I have. I don't believe that I would be able to have the conversations with my daughter that I have right now, um, because there, I don't know what it was in my brain. 
I, I just don't. I, I can't explain it, but I just know that just about every single hurdle roadblock was removed completely from my mind. And I was, I got sent back to my factory settings from the time that I was born. Yeah, and I was o- more open and receptive to change. See, see <laughs> and me growing up in the 70s, the 60s, and 70s, that was a time of drugs anyway. So, yeah, yeah I smoked marijuana all, all through high school and into my 20s. And we did every psychedelic drug we could get our hands on from mushrooms to peyote to mescaline, mescaline. you name it you know DMT, we tried them LSD. all and, <laughs> and i loved it you know i loved the time i had you know i enjoyed it would i recommend it for everybody nowadays maybe not you no. know but for for back then the the time i grew up in it was a lot of fun you know and we enjoyed i enjoyed the trips i had on that stuff it, you know the colors and everything and that shaped my life and shaped a whole lot of my thinking on life yeah and i think you know you have a whole lot of people you know that saying uh you gotta find yourself i think i found myself back then through all that okay found all the answers to life that i needed to know and everything and, I, and you know I, I went forward to it i don't regret it i you know it's fun times would i do them now probably not and it's not because I'm against them, oh, okay? Yeah. I, I did them when, when I was a teen, um, recreationally. Um, I can tell you this, there is a massive difference between doing psychedelics, hanging out with your friends at a party, listening to music at a concert, whatever, than to sit in a structured ceremony with some like-minded people, facilitators there to trip sit, if you will, and set an intention. Just say, this is this is what my goal is. And then I even, like two nights in a row, and then high <laughs> doses. This is not like, oh, I'm seeing pretty colors. This is like, I just met God. <laughs> Those are, you know, you're talking five, six grams of, of psilocybin, you know. Um, I'm pretty sure that my ancestors visited me. It, so. <laughs> it's so interesting, too, because... And they, and they guided me and they helped me on my way to loving myself. Sure. And, and when I was Sorry, growing Marcus. up with the Indians, they would have peyote ceremonies, you know, and and they... With intention. Yeah. That's how they you know, it. that's that's, you know... I, the the great grandfather of my mother, whatever, he was a medicine man, and he would look into crystals and he could read the future and stuff like that. A little bit crystals. of scrying, <laughs> and it's like I didn't see it, but I'm not discounting it, you know. And I, I, my Indian mom, one day we got we got busted in Kanab for drinking and driving, and. They were out on the reservation, and we we came home, and we're sitting in the house, and she looks at us, and she goes, you boys smoking marijuana? And you didn't lie to her. You know, you couldn't. So we were like, yeah. And she says, old grandpa saw a marijuana plant growing up in the crystal, and says, it's driving you boys crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to discount it, you know. 
She didn't know anything about it. So it, it's so interesting to the way um, things are changing as society is kind of progressing and ideas. You, you two obviously grew up in a, for lack of a better term, more hippy dippy type of, you know, childhoods where I think Grant did. I, I grew up in the age of uh, Ronald and Nancy Reagan and just say no. And this is your brain on drugs, right. you know, you like were, the egg in the frying pan and your brain is fried, you know. Yeah. So. so so you were you were. I, mean, the, I, I was were, on the you fear were, you end was, of you it. You were just getting born by the time I was <laughs> kind of going through my stages. Yeah. Yeah. And w- me and Lisa, um, I think we grew up in kind of the same uh, push of like, all drugs are bad, stay away from all of them, blah, 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 which further in my mind, when things are taboo, especially at a younger age, what do you want to do? You want to do that. You want to do it even more. <laughs> right. Unless you have a personal experience with turns bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and not that I'm advocating the use of drugs on children or anything like that, but I do advocate the education mm-hmm. of kids on drugs because when I was growing up one thing that my dad did do is he had kind of a similar upbringing as you where partying and all that and he would tell me the good times but then he would also tell me the really bad times and I didn't have I experimented with recreational drugs in my high school years and a little after but I did it more from like a response, like responsible air quotes way as where when I uh, observed friends of mine that were very, their families didn't talk about it, it was taboo, blah, blah, blah. Those people still to this day I know are struggling with huge addictions and have pushed into these very dark areas of drugs, whether it be methamphetamine or cocaine or things like that. And I've watched their lives unravel. And something about me makes me think, was that possibly from such a stringent, strict, no, you will not do this upbringing? See, and I was always always of the mind. If somebody told me this is bad for me, I had to go try it. (laughs) And then I found out, no, it's actually pretty good. You know, whether it was drugs, sex, or whatever have you, you know. They told you it was bad. No, actually, it's pretty good. And the reason they tell you it's bad is kind of religion sucks the fun out of everything. Religion <laughs> doesn't want you to have fun. You know, that's why I'm, I don't care about religion. I want to have fun. So <laughs> I did. It's very interesting you say that because um, with me and Marcus, us being born and raised in Utah, right, this is one of the most conservative states. So that being said is I... I didn't grow up Mormon, which is actually really interesting because anytime somebody finds out that I'm from Utah, that's the first thing they say to me. What? You must be Mormon. <laughs> what? Yep. And I, I get that a lot, but I had a lot of friends that were Mormons and I realized that in these situations because their parents were really strict with them, um, it was like, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about drugs. Like there was so much lack of education with my friends, which my mom, it's like, I didn't grow up in the best environment, right? I never actually understood my parents until I became a parent because I realized how hard it is to be a parent, right? And it's interesting talking to you guys about it or listening to you guys about it because my kids are young, right? I have a six-year-old and I have a two-year-old, but I find it very important to apologize. Like, you know, if I get overwhelmed and I feel like I've acted out in a way that I like... 
I don't yell at my kids. Why? Because as an adult, if you start yelling at me, I'm not listening to a damn thing you have to say. I don't give a fuck. Right. It's like the, the sensor of like me being like any rationality. I'm like, no, why are you talking to me like that? How can I expect my children to listen to me if I am yelling at them when I won't even listen to other people when they're yelling at me? Yeah. Right. And so when you grow up in these areas, I realize like with a lot of my friends, with them not having proper education with sex or with drugs, they they were out there getting knocked up or they were out there, you know, um, they're getting on drugs and they can't get off of drugs, right? And I like drug drugs. Drug drugs. Yeah. I'm not talking like I'm <laughs> not talking, talking meth, about heroin. Like, you know, I'm not talking marijuana. I'm talking like fentanyl. heroin, meth, fentanyl, cocaine, right? Like they're because nobody ever had a conversation with them about the consequences of actually doing these things. And so when you have no education on sex, you have no education on drugs, right? And somebody comes up to you and they're like, Hey, by the way, I know you're depressed. You come from a bad family. This is going to make you feel better. They don't, nobody ever talked to them about withdrawals. Nobody ever talked to them about like how even like with Molly, right? If you take Molly, it, 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 come down. it gives those endorphins, right? But every time that you come down, a little bit of you changes because you will always be chasing that feeling of acceptance and love. And like with psychedelic, like psychedelics, I, I've done psychedelics. I don't think that's the case with that. Right. Because you, sometimes you have these moments where you're like, Oh, everything's pretty, but there's been times where like I've taken psychedelics. Right. And there's things that I've never been able to even like talk about or process about, like, you know, like a death of a friend when I was like 15, where, I had so much regret around this because she had slept with my brother. Right. And so there was a lot of bullying, but not for me, but other people. And I never stepped in because of the situation. And when she died, I had to live with that. You know, I had to live with all of these like decisions that were made. And I had never been able to actually like push past that or accept that or forgive myself for that. And then one time I took like mushrooms. Right. And I sat down and I just, I just cried. Right. I just cried. I, I thought about it and was able to like accept that I'm human, right? I think that's the biggest part about anything. It's really important to remember that everybody is human. You can't do anything better than what you know at the time you're doing it, yeah. right? And that's that's where lessons come in is because that's why you learn it. I actually, if anything, I challenge you to fail. Fail. Do it. It's okay. You don't grow. You don't grow unless <laughs> you, you don't fail. You grow right? unless you're failing. The comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing grows there. Yeah. Why? Because you're not trying to, if you're uncomfortable, you're growing. Right. And that's why it's like with my kids, I try to be understanding and just realize it's like, try to put yourself in a mindset where it's like, you've looked through, you're looking at everything for the first time. You're experiencing it for the first time. Right. And you are impressionable. You teach your kids. Like with me, I have gone through sexual assault. So I had a really hard time being touched. And I, but that also being said, I had a hard time touching people. So with my oldest, it was a problem because I struggled with like contact. And so I had to like work through that. And in the process of doing that, my daughter became at such a young age, she like, she's weird about hugs now, right? Because like she didn't get that. And so I had to like go to therapy and I had to work on these things and I had to like work with my daughter. I had to like hug her more. I had to like come to acceptance that yes, I have my own problems, but those are not my child's problems, right? And it's their job to be a kid. It's your job to make sure they can. And, but the thing is, is like my therapy, I always stress about messing my kids up. That's the biggest thing because I, I am very, I broke, I came from a very broken family 
And so I was always just terrified. That's one of my biggest fears. Like, I don't want to mess my kids up. I don't want to like have my kids have to go through therapy with me. And as doing this, I went to therapy and I had a conversation with my therapist and he told me, he's like, it's not your job to raise a perfect kid. He's like, every child is different. You could have the best intentions in the world and they're going to perceive it however they want. It's not your job to, it's your job to make sure that they're fed, that they're loved, that they're clothed. And most importantly, that you apologize when you're in the wrong, the rest is for therapy. Right. And he said that he's like, cause everybody's going to take it different. You could be the best parent in the world and your, and your kids could still think you're the worst. Right. And so it's important to just be like, you know what? I'm human and you're human. And you know what? Yes, I may have yelled or I may have like acted out of context in this matter because maybe I'm overwhelmed, you know, and I will look at you and be like, I'm sorry. You know, like I'm human. I want my kids to know that, like, it's important to be human and I can only do as good as what I know. And I'm constantly learning. And that's where I had to like come in acceptance with my parents is because like my mom, she grew up in a very harsh family too. Right. And that being said, it's like I grew up in a very aggressive home, but I didn't understand my parents. And then I became a parent and I realized that like they really are just doing the best with the knowledge they have and they can't do anything better than they know in that moment. And that's okay, Right. It's like I can still love my mom and I can still have a lot of respect for my mom and still be able to look at my mom and be like, yes, mom, you know what? Like these issues did cause me problems within my life, but you did the best you can. And I love you for that, but that's why I'm in therapy. I don't want you to feel bad because I have to go to therapy to get through like weight issues, right? Because my mom called me fat when I was younger or my sister would call me fat. And I actually ended up in a situation where I was 300 pounds, right? And I didn't think I could ever get past that point, but it sticks, right? And I was, but like, I just talked to my mom about it. I'm like, yes, mom, this did happen, but I don't hate you for it, right? I don't fault you for it. I love you. Right. And I still have a lot of respect for you, but you have to understand that, like, I need to also make sure that I'm okay. And even though this was not your intentions, this is how it was perceived. And so I like, I try to be very open about it. I'm like, I don't, I don't hate you. I don't judge you. I had a lot of acceptance for my parents, but it's important to address these things and still deal with them because if not, then you're just bringing them forth with you. Right. So to me, knowledge is power. When you make something taboo, Mm -hmm. you put it in a box. Mm -hmm. That creates curiosity. Everybody wants to know what's in the box. Mm -hmm. But you're not supposed to touch the box. But that makes you want that makes you want to open it more. So then once you open it and you start looking at the stuff that was taboo, you may not know what it is. So you pull that fentanyl out and go, Mm -hmm. Oh, this looks like fun. Whereas if you would have told that person to begin with all they needed to know about it, there's no taboo there. All you have to do is educate, right? It's like, that's the biggest key is education is key. You, that's the thing is, is if my kids come up to me, I use proper terminology with my children. They know their body parts. Same here. I have two girls, right? It's important. Nowadays, it's like if you, if something happens to your child and they go to court and they can't actually properly be able to tell you in proper terminology, a lot of the times they'll dismiss it, right? They have to go through therapy. They have to dig through these things. But it's like, I want my kids to be able to be like, hey, this happened. This is what happened. And I will I will always believe my children until proven otherwise. Yeah. I actually, um, <clears throat> when I when I raised my kids, I, I had those conversations with them. The first time I, <laughs> I had the uh, birds and the bees conversation with my oldest son, he was nine years old. And I felt that I needed to... Um, 
explained to him why it was so important for him to keep the doors locked and the windows locked while daddy was TDY, which stands for temporary duty. You know, so he's, you know, two weeks here, 45 days there, you know, 15 months in Afghanistan, that kind of stuff. And yeah, sadly. <laughs> and so then that conversation happened with each of my children when they're about nine years old, because they seem to be able to comprehend it. Had the same conversation going back to the drugs. <laughs> Had similar conversations with my kids with drugs. Um, my husband and I were very different, very different. Came from a very conservative home. I would say a model home. You know, not broken, not, <clears throat> not as bad as mine, at least. And I did drugs in high school. My husband did not, not once, nothing, never even had the desire. And so I was, we were very, very open and honest with our kids and talked to him and explained that I did drugs. Dad didn't look, you can do it both ways. You can be successful, you know, as long, anyhow, and sex. Too. Well, those, they're going to make their own decisions. That's those the thing, those very well. candid conversations with my kids about sex. Um, unfortunately, I think it's one of the reasons why I don't have any grandchildren. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. I think it's the generations because uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's expensive. It's it's hard to be like people don't want to pass down any more generational trauma. trauma yeah, too. And that's and that's the bad part. Is true. Is like also people. Um, you know. It's interesting because like I am in, I am the youngest in this room. And so that also being said, it's like I grew up in such a weird spot, right? Where it's like, okay, we're still quite on this. Like we're aggressive. We're still hitting our kids. Right. But now it's illegal. Right. So now, hitting kids, now you mean like spanking. spanking and stuff spanking. of that nature. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about. Okay. So. That being said, that I also grew up in a weird part with technology. Yes. Right? It's like, I have known what it's like without technology, but I also have known what it's like with technology because it started coming in when I was about in high school. Right? And so I am very knowledgeable in that. Yeah. When I'm talking, I'm talking like I was on, I had a razor. I had a little like Nokia. I didn't have, I didn't have no touch screen. No, act like we... We were hitting like three, 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 five, five, five. You know what I mean? <laughs> to get Good our old fashioned. And there was nothing wrong with it. There was nothing wrong with it. But it's um, then all a, of a sudden, all the knowledge of the world is at the palm of my hands, right? We, we had a three channel TV, and you were the remote. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's, that's where it's like, yeah, it's really weird because we went through such a huge change within my like time, my time period. But then also we went through such a big change with like mental health. Right. If when you talk to a lot of people my age, there's a lot of acceptance with with that, because at this point, it's like, where else do you go? You know, accountability, it's the key, because a lot of people don't realize, like, you really are the source of your own misery. Right. Like people will go throughout their whole life and they'll be like, I can only be better than what I am. Right. I don't know anything else. So how am I supposed to be that? Well, maybe encourage yourself to look around at the people that you like and the qualities that you like about them and maybe try to, like, thrive to be more in that. If you like that somebody's traveling and you want to tra go travel, right? If you like that somebody's nice and is able to have communication with people and be able to be decent no matter what the circumstances, politics, religion, sports, whatever, and you can still be able to accept and put that in and you like that about that person, work towards it. They're, you're not going to be perfect, of course. Like You're a creature of habit. Everyone's a creature of habit, right? But you can choose to implement different things in your life. And you aren't... That's like one thing that I would like to say to like younger kids or like people my generation is like, you do not have, like, you don't have to be who you are if you aren't happy with that, right? 
people get stuck in like me I felt like I hated myself in a situation to the point that I didn't know how to be any better than what I was and so I felt very helpless in that situation and I you know I ended up in a hospital and then I come out of this hospital and it was like blink right it's like I go out and I'm so scared of the world now because everything I've ever known is not the same it's not the same anymore and I'm provided with this opportunity to build myself which I never thought was capable right and so I start looking at like like surround yourself with successful people right if you want to be successful surround yourself with successful people they'll show you how they'll tell you how you want to be a, you want to be a happier person go be around a happier people you want to be a funnier person go to a comedy show you'll realize that things aren't as serious it's a lot lighter than you think right but if you're constantly surround like it's like drugs right if you if you want to get off drugs the best thing you got to do is get away from people that are doing drugs. Yes. Right. I, I once got told by somebody that was on, on like an, an addict, right. But had gotten off of them. He told me that, um, when you're on drugs, right. The people you don't like, or the people that you feel are out to get, get you are normally the people who are trying to help you. Right. It's the people who are giving you the drugs. It's the people who are sitting here and they are validating your reasonings for being on drug those are those aren't the people who are going to help you get through life those are the people that are just helping you feel numb yeah you know and i just like i realized that like i started hanging out with more successful people right and then all of a sudden i got out of my comfort zone you know what i mean i actually felt like i could achieve things i realized i wasn't as dumb as because okay so school's weird right you get put in this like <laughs> you get put in this like box and you're basically learning how to be a blue collar worker from the day that you start school, right? You know, you get there, you get there at like eight, you get off at like two thirty or whatever, right? And you learn a lot of knowledge. That's very important, but you get used to the schedule of what work really is. Like you get your breaks, right? You get your recess, you get your lunch, you take lunch at work, right? You have to be respectful. You have to listen to your teacher. You have to do your work in order to, you know, get succeed. through school and succeed. And when you think about it, it's like, if you look at a lot of people, at least within my generation that were very good at school and very into that like structure, a lot of them are still working at fast food. A lot of them are still working in like restaurants or like retail because it's what they're used to. And then also it's what they told, that's what they've been told that they have to do in order to go up the chain of command to actually be successful, which isn't the case, right? It's like, you look at me, I have, I got a college not a college. I had no college. Okay. I went for dental assisting. I got through it and I was like, Oh, I hate this. Um, <laughs> I was like, teeth are gross and people are gross. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> you know, and I go through this and it's like, I was working at this company and I'm doing workforce to help them build this department. Right. But anytime I would want a promotion, they would just tell me I was too naive or too young. They never like given me an opportunity. Well, then I have this, this friend, he comes in he's like, dude, you're really smart. Like he's like, come work with me. And then all of a sudden I'm building this business with this guy and I'm meeting actual like professional CEOs, like people that I was intimidated with. Right. And I realized these people are human. They're like, holy shit, human. You know, they're talking about, they're talking about, uh, psychedelics. They're talking about weed. They're talking about partying and what they all had different from like norms of what people go through is that they were willing to be uncomfortable. Right. They were willing to like go and try something new. They didn't they didn't really believe so much in the structure that was like built up. And I'm talking to these people and then I realize I'm like, holy shit, I could be successful. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm like, damn, I'm really good at numbers. What can help me assist with this? Like, where can I go from this? And I learned how to talk to people that were intimidating to me, like CEOs. And so when I go into 
you know, a company, like I've been with my company now for two years and I got, within that two years, I went from being in the distribution center to being corporate office, right? Just within those two years period. And I got no college degree. I don't have any experience, but what it came down to is I knew my value. I knew what I knew. I knew I had the ability to learn anything because I was willing to learn anything, right? And so then I go into these situations and they're like, holy crap. I'm like, yeah, I do know about these programs. I do know how to break this down. And if I'm not, I can figure it out in three days. I got photographic memory. Mm-hmm. When I go in here, I'm not over here bragging about what I'm doing. I'm having a conversation with somebody, right? And I'm watching their body language. I'm watching their reactions and how what I'm saying is working because I think everyone should do sales, right? Sales teach you how to just talk to people and, and it shows you how to sell yourself. So then I go into this company, right? And... I'm listening to them. I'm letting them talk. I'm learning who they are. Then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, so this is how this person is. And this is what's impressive. So now I'll take what I have and I will modify it to be able to catch an attention. But when it ever comes down to pay, I tell them, well, you've had my experiences. I can tell you what I have. What do you think is fair? Right. And that, the reason why I do that is because if you give them a number and they're willing to pay you more, but you give them the small number, you just, set be, the, yeah. you just set yourself low. Set the but if you're going in there and you're like, I'm worth. What do, you, what do you think I'm worth? I've just told you what I'm worth. I know I can do this. I know I could do this, right? What do you think I'm worth? And then they'll go ahead. They'll give you their higher number, right? Then from there, I encourage you to add $3 on it. You want to know why? Because if they want you bad enough and they feel like you're in that situation, they'll at least bump their price up, like what they're willing to pay you, at least by 50 cents to a dollar. Why? Because you came in there, you're confident, you know what you're worth, right? You're not over here fidgeting with your hands or being like, I don't know, right? You're, you're coming in and you're like, this is who I am. I am professional. I know I know my worth, but I also know that like anything you can teach me, I can take it and I can run with it. And that's one thing I realized with employees, like employers, is that they want somebody who's willing to learn and will run with it because, yeah, sure, anybody can be good at your job, right? But it's the people who are like, okay, so what can I do better? Like, and it's not even just like, you're not looking at them and being like, Hey, can I do more? And they're giving you more and they're taking advantage of that. You're looking at them and you're saying I'm worth more, right? Like, not that I can do more that I'm worth more. I can do this, but because I'm doing this, I'm providing this value for you. You need to do this for me because if you go to a company and they're not willing to, you will find a company that is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, retention is a mm-hmm. big thing a big nowadays, thing. especially because you know, people have jumped ship in a mm-hmm. heartbeat, you know, whereas when I was growing up, nobody jumped ship. But now it's like, I can go over here and make an extra buck an hour, buy, and, and especially in trucking, even though it's, it's the exact same job, you're going to put up with the exact same shit everywhere you go, they think they're going to mm-hmm. pay me more, more and treat me better, and they don't. That's not the case, yeah. And most companies, if companies will barter with you, that's the thing is, is people just think like they're just stuck in these situations. They will like my friend, um, one of my best friends, right? She is at this company, but she needed more money. Well, she went to this other company and they were willing to offer her like, you know, like $20,000 more. And so she goes to this other company and she's like, Hey, this company is saying that they're willing to pay, pay me this. But instead of telling them like, Hey, 50,000, they said she's willing, they're willing to pay me 57,000. Right. She bunched up the number, even though it wasn't the same number. The reason why she did that is because if she wanted to stay with this company, right. And they actually found the value within her, 
she already knows if whatever, if this doesn't work and bartering with this one company, she already knows she's going to make more money there. But she had a conversation with her company and they were willing to take her up to 60 K right? Because to keep her, to keep her. Mm-hmm. and it was all because she was willing to have a conversation about it. And so she went from, you know, making like 45 to 60 K all because she bartered with the company and they felt as if they were in competition with another company and either way, what she have to lose, right? What does she really have to lose there? Oh, was she out? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah, you're not willing to pay me. Cool. Either way, this company is willing to pay me more. They're willing to respect me. And when it came down to it, everybody, most people are scared to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. You touched something on something that I kind of want to get everyone's opinion on based on uh, our different ages. And you kind of talked about how school was almost like an indoctrination to getting into the workforce. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. but you said something that was very particular that I don't know if I agree, but you said getting ready for blue collar work. Yeah. And you're right. And I'm not like saying like it's just that phrase, the blue collar work, because and I totally get where you're coming from. You're saying that they're getting you ready for schedules and this and that. But the one thing that I personally think that the education system has failed our generation on is we were force fed college mm-hmm. from the day we got in kindergarten <coughs> to the day we graduated that if you don't go to college, you're, you're not going to be successful. Same here, though. Same here. You weren't you weren't gonna get be successful. You weren't gonna make good money. You were never gonna get paid a decent wage if you didn't have college behind you. Mm-hmm. And that's not. And it makes really you so scared. No, it makes you, you scared. You, you yeah. see, you see, kids now going and get degrees, and you know, especially you know, crap degrees. And they get out, and they're not even going to make fifteen grand a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my son's and, and eighty thousand dollars in debt from yeah. college, and he—the mm-hmm. last time he went to college, he was twenty. He's thirty-two now. Yeah, you you can go become a truck driver, and make you know he works more in than a these dispensary kids, kids are more doing money. now, you know, <laughs> or construction or or whatever. Yeah, and that's—I'm not trying to disparage people who go get degrees. I'm not trying to say that college isn't worth it, but it. it to it's me, it's way. almost very bad for your populace because you're pushing that you have to go to school to get these white collar jobs to make all this money. Mm-hmm. And then we have experienced this, especially with the advent of COVID-19 and what that did to our world that, OK, now kids don't want to go into trade jobs. They don't want to be truck drivers. They don't want to be plumbers. They don't want to be HVAC because they've been taught that those jobs don't make good money, which is a total false yes. uh-huh. narrative Yeah, because you can make great money being a plumber being a truck driver all these things and now those careers over there are suffering because they Mm -hmm. need people but people don't want to go into that the schools themselves are hand over fist making money and and the other thing is i mean when you're going through school to high school and that i was never good at math so why, why why teach me math teach me something i'm interested in i was interested in say science stuff or or history or English, you know, teach me that stuff where it's probably going to be where I'm going to go anyways. Mm-hmm. Things I'm interested in. Yeah, okay, I, I understand. <laughs> They're you know, about their, their test scores. I, and the, I understand. Okay, well. maybe basic, basic math. But when it came to algebra and all that shit, I was completely lost mm-hmm. and had no interest in it. I can add two and two, you know, I multiply and all that stuff, and that's all I ever needed. But they didn't teach me the skills that I was interested in. So why not push me into woodworking or 
mechanic or welding or whatever, if you're interested in that, you know, rather than push me into trying to be a scientist, which is never going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's where other countries, especially like European based countries, they have a lot of trade school opportunities for their younger population. I mean, from like 14 and up and we in the United States have not adopted that. And I've almost think we've allowed universities and the higher education to run amok. And I got really upset by this and I don't know how you guys take this, but when the current administration pushed the uh, debt relief for students, Mm -hmm. I was kind of on board, like, okay. Same. Obviously I've got a son who's $80,000 in debt from college, you know, but at the same time I was like, if you're going to, pay this debt relief give me a little bit of money because i didn't right i want my get any of that paid. so you know Current or debt. i could car payment paid you know whatever but i and i think the biggest thing is that just secondary education is way too much money and a lot of it is just going to administrative costs that don't need to exist well, oh, yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy because um they don't really talk about trade work right that's not actually really a conversation that's had And I just remember when I got out of school, I knew call centers, restaurants, fast food, and retail. That's all I knew. I I like, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my holy shit, there's actually jobs out here. Like there's like, if you hate your job, you have not branched out enough, right? There is literally things for everything. Um, And it's funny because most people say, oh, if you want to, if you want to live a happy life at the job, then have a job that you love. Hell no. Don't do that. Don't do anything that you love. You want to know why? Because when you do something enough and it's tedious, you stop loving it, right? So it's like everyone always tell me, become a tattoo artist. You like art. Do it a lot. You know, just do it. But the thing is, is like being an artist, I don't want to freaking draw, draw all the time. I got artist blog. Like I can't, I can't freaking sit here and like account, like count on that. Like, cool. Good for people who can, but like, let's be honest. There's times where you hate it and you still have to do it. And then you it loses the fun in it, right? Have fun with your hobbies. Your hobbies doesn't have to be your job. Find something you're good at and that you like enjoy. You don't hate it. But if not, then it's like you're going to come home and you're like, oh, damn. Well, hey, shit, I just spent all this work doing art. The last thing I want to do is draw. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I always had people reach out to me and be like, why aren't you doing paid photography gigs and stuff. And I was like, I went down that road. So I did weddings. I did family photos. You want to know what the last thing is I wanted to do when I got home from those is pick up my camera, which was my huge outlet in love. I don't want to do like, screw that, shelve that crap. And I, I think, I think it's important to enjoy your job, Mm -hmm. but you don't, I don't think you necessarily have to love it. Um, in that same, now I I'm losing my train of thought here where it was like, (laughs) Camera photography, um, but <laughs> you're a maker of all Swiss Army knife. Yeah, but <laughs> don't get stuck in one job. You know what I mean? Like I think I know my grandpa always pushed, uh, you know, loyalty to the companies and this <laughs> stuff. And it was like they're not loyal to <laughs> us anymore. Yeah, yeah you are replaceable like that. And a lot of people get stuck in their jobs, and they're like, "Well, I can't leave because." If I leave, it will fall apart. It won't. Mm-mm. It'll still be there. And I fell prey to that. I was like, I can't leave my job if I leave, you know. And it's like, so I made myself miserable at this job that wasn't bringing me any enjoyment. And I think the biggest thing for me with a job, I have to feel like I'm making a difference in my job. Mm-hmm. That's what brings me 
passion to do the work. I don't love my job every day I get up, but I go not hating it. So yeah, and I'm, I'm money motivated. That's okay. That's kind of a weird concept, but I am money motivated because the truth is a job's there to provide for your life outside the job. That's all it's there for. Like, yeah, you can make a difference and everything, but you're going to come home. I was your job is just your job. You got, you got people outside. You got people you love. You have people who love you. You got things you want to do. Right. But you can't do that if you can't provide for that. Right. And so it's like, and that also being said, it's like, dude, you're not trapped to your employee, like employer. People get so stuck. Like they feel like they are, they're obligated to these situations. But truthfully, it's like, this is an agreement, right? You don't own me. You can't, if it's my day off, you can't get mad at me and write me up for not coming in. Why? It's my life. Mm-hmm. You don't own me. We made it an agreement. I will come to work. I will provide these amounts of services for this amount of hours and you will pay me for that. That was the agreement, right? You don't, you don't get to make me feel bad. Also, yeah, you got time. Don't say, Hey, don't be the person that de- doesn't go to work and uses that as an excuse because honestly, you're just going to be broke. So it's on you, but you don't owe them anything, right? If you have a boss and they're just like, Oh, you just messed me for taking your day off. That's not my problem. That's your problem. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, there's things that come into the thing. And of course that bothers them on their end. But at the end, it's like, that comes down to lack of boundaries and their lack of ability to say no to their boss. Yes. You know, I, I, I worked, I, I worked for a person like that. I actually left a job. It was owned. Um, so the, the two places, the job that I went to was owned by the company that I left. And so it was really easy for me to kind of slide in. I took a major demotion. Like I was making good money, but I was working anywhere between 10 to 16 hours a day. And on Christmas Eve, during time that I want to spend with my family, that I feel like I should be spending time with my family. Like I'm sitting at literally a family Christmas party on Christmas Eve with my laptop. Mm-hmm. And I'm communicating with a client and I'm, I'm doing uh, yeah, everything he wanted. Left that job, moved over to a new job and excelled because that's what I do. I work hard. I have a good work ethic and I excel. Mm-hmm. Got into another situation where it's like they want more from me and that job didn't require it. I didn't have the workload that required it. Mm-hmm. And I had a boss who just didn't comprehend. He had no boundaries because for me, he wouldn't allow me to set those boundaries because he thought I was lazy and just didn't have a good work ethic. It's like, no, dude, I'm not selling my soul to this company. You should have and, to. And it broke me. I'm I'm not the kind of person that can do that. I I need to have a job that I feel passionate about. I don't have to love it, just like you guys. I mean, it would be lovely, but also I can see how it would turn into work. I've never had a job that I loved. Ever. I never had a job that I even liked. Uh, I I just had jobs. They were just to make ends meet. And, you know, over time I just learned that I could excel in some of them. But I just, I don't understand those people who just sell their soul to these jobs. I mean, one of the guys that I worked with, um, we handled, obviously, my team supported his clients. And... I mean, it was New Year's Eve. He's in New York City and he's with his partner and he's drinking and partying and having a good time. And the system went down and this client called him. It's New Year's Eve. He is now trying to sober up and handle everything that that client wants. And he's reaching out to me and I'm going, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, I'm sorry. My team's not getting on the phone. I'm not doing anything, period, end of story. And they just look at me like I'm ridiculous, you know? And ultimately... 
ultimately it broke me. I actually, I actually walked out on my job. I handled the, um, you know, technical support team for key accounts. Mm-hmm. We handled our million dollar accounts, my seven people on my team. And I had a break. I broke down and told my team, I said, I quit. You know, they were all like, oh, yeah, haha, I know I quit. It's an awful day. It's been a rough couple of weeks. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, I'm, I'm packing my shit right oh, now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm typing up my resignation letter with no notice whatsoever. And I told a friend. She's like, I'm not talking you out of it. She worked there, too, you mm-hmm. know. And the system crashed. Phone calls are building, and my team is getting hammered. And I said, bye. See ya. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah, I was, I and they was, never looked back. I was always the one they called on. They could depend on me. Something went down, you know. Hey, can you come and do this? No matter what the fuck you were doing, you know. And it was like, yeah. So you know, I always went in, and I was the one that never said no. And everybody should learn how to say fucking no. Yeah, I was gonna say no is like, the most <laughs> empowering word. Did, did they? do that for you though right do you ever felt like they no, would have jumped no. through hoops they, for they, you they, they would if I would have fucked up like I, heck it's, yeah. it's no, sure. replace so, you in a so your loyalty <laughs> to them is not reciprocated Mm-mm, at all it's not the same and yeah. they don't care they don't care about your life they no. just care about the numbers and, and even though I enjoy what I do I enjoyed truck driving and I was moving heavy equipment it was fun you know mm-hmm. but there was times that it sucked whatever you know but but still, I liked it, but it was like Saturday, you know, oh, we just had a loader da- come down. Can you can you come in? And then you almost sure. feel obligated to say yes. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, becoming that yes man. I remember I had an experience just like you. I was working for a company, and I was being pushed 16-hour shifts. I was watching people come into work and go home, and I hadn't even ended my work shift. And... The thing that broke me was this company and companies make promises that they don't fulfill a lot of the times. And I was, I had signed up for school. I was going to go to the fire Academy had dropped like an $8,000 down payment on this. And my manager was like, uh, that your school shift's not going to work. I don't have anyone to cover you. And I just looked at him. I was like, well, then I quit. Too bad. And he was like, you can't do that. I was like, watch hell if I can't. And now that I know that you have just given me empty promises, I am gone. I didn't. By, I didn't sign the contract in my blood. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they don't own you. And he was taken aback. Like, what? I was like, "Yep, here's my uniforms. Here's everything. Bye. Like a See you. Problem." <laughs> and that was such a empowering moment in my life mm-hmm. because I had learned, like we were all saying, I can say no. And Grant, you're right. You have to as a person to fill a fulfilled life be able yeah, to say no. it's, it's even in your personal life where people throw obligations on you you know that you don't want to do i'm learning you just that gotta say parent. no no sorry fuck you i got other shit i'm doing you don't have to explain it to them if i don't want to go just because i don't want to go that's enough no mm-hmm. you know it's interesting um i it, Corey, do you guys know who Corey, Corey Taylor is from Slipknot? Yes. Okay. So I love Corey Taylor. Love Slipknot. Every time they're in town, I'm there. Okay. And um, 
it was interesting. So he got onto Instagram re- recently, and he's he's talking to everybody. Um, I don't know if you guys follow him or whatever. I do. Um, he had his second solo album come out um, sometime in I think 2022, maybe um, 2023. He went on tour, and he's my age. Okay. And he's out there and he's killing it. And I was so sad. I missed it because he didn't come anywhere near Utah. (laughs) Not, not anywhere that I wanted to go anyway. And all of a sudden, you know, he gets on to social media and he's telling everybody, he's like, you know, I, I have to cancel these shows, you know, my mental health, I've got to, this is what I have to do for my family. And now all of a sudden we're seeing advertisements for four shows in Japan or somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. in Asia, maybe, um, for four tour four shows overseas somewhere and he's taken a lot of flack for it his fans are angry and i'm like this is his job think about your job and how you would feel if somebody got angry with you and told you no i'm sorry you cannot take a break for your own mental health and to rest your mind and your body and be with your family and then start back up again when you feel like you're able to, to go ahead and do it and you have the energy to take, you know, to, to go ahead and take on the rest of that tour. And I just thought you guys are such jerks. Like all of you guys I'm hearing, you know, especially, and maybe it's my generation. Maybe those are the, the Slipknot fans. They're not the twenties generation. I don't even know what to call it. Gen, Gen Z. I don't even know. What is Gen Z? Don't do me dirty. (laughs) I'm a millennial too. I'm talking about my generation. Maybe it is because we think that we got to go, 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 go. And we have to always be working. My mom always used to tell me, I don't have time to be depressed. I'm not going to go get therapy. I don't have time for that. I've got too much shit to do in my life to be depressed and to work through it. Well, guess what? You did some damage here. And now I'm you know, depressed. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. We're, uh, I'm a generation where it was still go, 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 but we're also learning about boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so maybe those are the people that were reaching out to, to Corey Taylor and saying, listen, dude, you're a jerk, you know, because you, you're doing these shows and you took this break. Well, guess what? All those people got their money back. So I don't know what you're complaining about. Great. He couldn't do a show. He called in sick. He took a sick day. He took a personal health day. Get over it. And maybe, like I said, maybe it's my generation. And I'm so grateful that I've got one foot in my generation. And I've been able to dip into my kids' generation a little bit and understand boundaries. I was was complaining to my dad. So Corey Taylor, take a rest and don't let anybody... uh, you know, tell you otherwise. <laughs> I, was, I was complaining to my dad one time and he was sitting there listening, you know, with that glazed look, you know, and finally he looked at me, he says, you know, I got enough problems with my fucking own without listening to yours. <laughs> and I, I had never really thought about it that, yeah, he's got his fucking problems too, you know, and well, it was just eye opening to me. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, kind of getting back to parents and stuff. Um, I myself, when I was younger, I always, till about, you know, 13, 14, I always looked at my parents as they could do no wrong and they were Superman and Wonder Woman. And then all of a sudden this concept came about when I seen my parents going through their own addictions and own problems that, oh, they're human beings. Mm -hmm. I think we do the same thing with uh, people in society that are in higher positions of power or in uh, like 
positions of influence like Corey Taylor, where these people are like, no, you're my artist. No, that guy is a human being as mm-hmm. well. And I think we can see that with in recent times, two people in uh, particular, uh, Chris Cornell and uh, uh, Chester, Chester Bennington, Bennington from Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. Both of those re- had very, very, very uh, blessed careers. They were amazing musicians. Horrible and, mental and, health issues. And yet they still had horrible mental health and still took their lives. Happiness. Yeah. And actually, that's what I told my kids because I, I was telling my daughter about it, that, that people were so angry with him because he took a break and now he's ready to, to get back on, you know, that horse again. And, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned to her, I says, you know, if, if Chester... Or Chris Cornell had taken a break, maybe we would still have them. Maybe be blessed with their presence for crying out loud. So I applaud him, Corey Taylor, for setting boundaries and knowing what's right for him and his family, and then getting back out there when he felt like he's ready. And you know, who knows? He might have to take a step back again. Yeah. Um, I brought the age into it because I can only imagine that touring like he does is very hard on him. I mean, I got I got excited recently. I had to just the last couple of weeks. I I wanted to get out and see people, because I I don't work anymore. By the way, I walked out on that job and I never went back to work again. And I get lonely sometimes. And I have friends who don't do the things that I would like them to do. So I find new friends. <laughs> no, I don't replace them. No, I just find other yeah. friends that I can do those things with. And so I thought, okay. So I went to Wine Wednesday in my neighborhood, so I can meet some some ladies in my neighborhood, um, always younger than me. I always hang out with twenty and thirty year olds. I don't know what it is. Nowadays they're I, a little more. I don't know. I feel like they're a little more accepting too. It's not as bad as what it <laughs> well, used to be. Well, and then I went to you know see Shane Moss, you know the psychedelic show, and then I went to the the psychedelic expo, and then I hung out with a buddy of mine and. And my husband's, and I did those three things, and man, I was exhausted. I was wiped out for the weekend. It's so funny that you say that, though, because you're like, I'm always hanging out with 20 and 30 year olds. I'm the exact opposite. I'm always hanging out with 15 and 60 year olds. Me too. I'm always hanging out with people way older than me. Um, It's kind of. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, what, yeah. I, maybe I'm, I'll, I'll ask my therapist about it. What, you what, what do you think about this? Your, some people are just there and some people aren't. You know what I mean? It, I, sometimes age doesn't actually entirely like shape who a person is. Yeah. Me and Marcus it, went out to dinner here about a week ago. And after we left, I'm getting in the car with my wife. And it's like, you know, it's like we went out to dinner with our children. And, and, <laughs> We're sitting, there, we're, we're sitting there. We're sitting there. We're sitting there going. I'll bet Marcus and Summer are going. Yeah, we just went to dinner with our parents. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll go to the age thing. Um, a very disappointing and surprising part of getting old for me has been. I don't know if disappointing is the word. Surprising. We'll say surprising. Is that. You not, I naturally assume that as you got older, uh, obviously you hope that you're gaining some wisdom just through experience and stuff like that. If you're not, then there's a problem and you're not growing. Um, but I never anticipating that my mind would remain 21. Mm-hmm. Like I am so down to, like I still love my metal concerts. 
I go with my son, he's 17 years old, and we're in the pit for Slipknot, and I want to be in the mosh pit. I used to hang out in the mosh pit when I was a teenager, okay? And he's like pulling me back, and he's pulling me back, and I'm like, dude, knock it off, you know? He's like, it's just, it's too dangerous. I was at uh, Chelsea Grin. Freaking love yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea Grin. Grin's good. Well, and they're friends of my, my oldest sons. They've been to my house. I'm oh, like, that's, cool. that's why I recognize you, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's way cool. And, and so yeah. I love doing that kind of stuff. Like, my mind is still 21. I'm hanging out with my oldest son and his wife and their friends in Colorado. Um, they went to Lost Lands in Ohio, and I was watching his plants, you know, because he's in Colorado. <laughs> so I'm taking care of those plants, and there I am. I'm, like, smoking weed with them, and we're listening to music, like clips from previous Lost Lands and stuff like that, and we're dancing, and we're vibing, and we're having a really great time. And go into the bathroom, and I look in the mirror and go, fuck. Because I forget how fucking old I am. Tiffany, I don't feel that way. I, I have to tell you this, and I've told you this time and time again when we get together. You are goddamn beautiful, Bree, know, for being in your fifties. <laughs> That's the first thing I said when she when she was like, "Thank you." I'm, I'm in my fifties. I was like, "The fuck?" Because <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's like honestly, like you like, you look like you're in your early thirties. I'm gonna be really honest <laughs> with you. I've met I've met people my age. They'll look like shit compared to you, <laughs> cool. right? And I'm so I'm mad impressed. Good for you, honestly. <laughs> so, it, and, and, and maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's the secret to looking a little bit younger is that I hang out with people that just, are my kid's age. I still do the things I fucking wanted to do when I was a teenager. And even in my 20s when I was a parent and I didn't have the money to do. So I'm kind of living the life that I may have had if I had waited until marriage and mm-hmm. been a little older to have my kids. Right now, though, I, you know, I even tell my kids and even their friends, you know, that I, I do, I, I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm reminded that I'm not as young as my mind is. And I feel like sometimes it's cruel. Sometimes it's cruel. Like my body won't do the things that I want to do as much. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when Slipknot does one of their songs and you, you get down on the ground Okay, and and Corey Taylor says you get up and jump. You're gonna jump. Oh, well, guess mm-hmm. what? I jumped and my body went. <laughs> it's like ouch. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, think yeah. so, lady. <laughs> so it's weird because people tell you. Oh, sorry, I interrupt you. Um, people tell you that like once you, I get it all the time. People are like, "You're a mom, chill." I'm like, bro, I became a mom. I didn't freaking die. You know, like my life didn't just end because I became a mom. I got little homies to live life with. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the only time I feel old is like I'll be talking to some kid in his twenties or whatever. And I'll go, yeah, the Rolling Stones, and they're like, who? Oh, Led no. Zeppelin? Who? I had Clint I, Eastwood. Who? I had somebody ask me if this was my dad. Oh no! <laughs> I was like, that is a sac- that's sacrilege. Like that that's. Boris that's Bell, that, no, that's Bella Lugosi. Bella. Yeah. Sorry, you yeah. need to know. I'm 27 and I still get that. I'm telling you right now. And it, like I said, it's because I'm in that weird spot where it's like, I am cultured. Okay, I listen. I I listen to Foreigner. I listen to Disturb. I listen to like, you know, um, I went to a Motley Crue concert. You know, I listened to Slipknot, Chelsea Grin. I have you, a hard time going backwards to mm-hmm. like Motley Crue and those big hair bands and it's, even. Even when I listened to like Nitzareb, Front Two Four Two, KMFDM, those those were 
my But then you bed. go like two, three years from me. Uh-huh. I don't know what the hell. They have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Which is so crazy. Um, there, <laughs> no, no, no. There is a very, like, I've noticed dividing line. Like 24 mm-hmm. and down is very, they're, they almost they're put them. Yeah, yeah, and they isolate themselves. Which I find of. very interesting because, oh, we'll talk, keep on the music subject. I find very interesting because they have... All of us, I'm going to say, um, um, we all have access to so much music in the palm of our hand. I used to have to go to Grey Whale and start searching mm-hmm. through albums and CDs and cassettes and stuff like that and go find stuff. Now I'm like, oh, I am Jake Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I saw him on TikTok. Well, crap, there's Spotify. Let's They're find like I am Jake Hill. And, CDs. <laughs> you know. Um, and so you think that they wouldn't be so isolated. I can only assume algorithms. I blame everything on algorithms. Um, because I love to listen to I listen to a range. Like mm-hmm. I, there was one year when I was in my twenties, I went and saw Kiss, Slaughter and Winger, saw Sinead O'Connor, I saw MC Hammer, uh, George Strait. Oh, I fell asleep. That was the word. <laughs> and Depeche Mode. It's like you know, I just like music as a whole. And I can even dip my toe in the EDM world a mm-hmm. little bit too and really appreciate it. Um, it just kills me that you had some kids going, oh yeah, that Ozzy Osbourne, like, you know, Post Malone really put him on the map. And I'm like, the fuck you say? <laughs> <laughs> the so fuck funny. you say? I'm sorry. Like people like Post Malone, anybody, like your base is... You're at the beginning. You're, you're just starting. Th- you're, you're talking, you know, Elvis. You're talking, you know, um, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath. All of those bands, they're like the base for some of those metal bands that you freaking love. And guess what? Bands like Nitzareb, Cam FDM, Front 242, that was the, the electronic music mm-hmm. age where even Depeche Mode was more electronic. You got synthesizers on stage and stuff like that. And now that leads into your EDM. And I'm like... How can you even think that you guys created it all and that this is how it's always been? So I think at a certain age, though, you get to a point where you do start appreciating a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, also, by the way, studies actually show that about mid-30s is when you stop being able to accept new music that's so outside of your your normal genres that you like. Mm-hmm. I am very grateful, and my mother was like this too, I'm very grateful that I haven't hit that yet. I'm 52 years old, and my kids, when they hear they, they hear a new band or something like that, my, my 32-year-old son is like, Mom, I heard these guys, and I knew that you'd fucking love them. And they send them to me, and then my youngest son, he'll get into my playlist, and he's like, did you take this from my playlist? And I'm like, no, your mom found this shit on her own. <laughs> That's the cool thing about Spotify is they have like this DJ thing now. It's like you can click it and they'll just put they'll just put random songs. I'm gonna be honest, I've I've like gotten so many different music from that. Same here. And I have like friends, they just honestly send me music back and forth all the time when we do that. Um and I have a large amount of things that I will listen to and I will go down to like music that my grandma listened to. You yes. know, AI DJ and is driving me nuts because it's taking me down to stuff that I listened to when I was in my, in my teens. And I don't want to listen to that. anymore. I, I grew up since then. This is going to sound odd, but like music that's in like video game culture, like mm. uh fallout, that game, 
I listen to forties and fifties like band music now because of that. And I, but I want to touch real quick on something because we're talking about Spotify and the availability of music and how readily available it is. I also think it's a disservice to artists that those platforms mm-hmm. exist because I find I still buy CDs. <laughs> I do too. And this is what I, that's where they make the most money is the albums and stuff. I love um, records. I love CDs. I love opening up and seeing the artwork and mm-hmm. reading the linear notes and just reading the lyrics and everything like that. And I find that a lot of these bands, they, they make whole albums, but then sadly, all you hear is the one mm-hmm. single. And it's like, no, there's so much more in that album. Like, explore. Right, but it's, it's also, you don't have to pay for a shit album now, too. You know, <laughs> yeah. you only, if they only did look. one that, good song, that you know. That is true. I've, I've actually done that with a few new albums. Um, and we'll call them albums because that's what they've always been called. Um, but yeah, if I, if I have an artist that I really, really love and I'm like, yeah, they've got a new album and then I'll listen to it on something like Spotify and then go, I'm not buying that one. That, that, I'll that download the true. couple of songs yeah, I really yeah. like, but the rest of it is crap yeah, because, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I do, I, I still make sure I buy CDs, especially when I'm at a concert. Um, there have been wonderful bands that have, you know, opened up for a little bit bigger bands like of Mice and Men, um, Parkway Drive, stuff like that. And you'll have like Moscow and the, oh my gosh. Anyhow, there's been a, a, a fire from the gods. They opened up for, I can't even remember who it was. I think it was Of Mice and Men. And I bought their CDs. I've talked to AJ Channer, who is the uh, lead vocalist for Fire from the Gods. And I buy their albums and I get, you know, their autographs. And I go, oh my gosh, I remember when, you know, I love that guy. Um, so I do, I, I support the little bands if I like them, but not if they're, I don't like them. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to buy shit to just buy shit, you know? I'm right there with you. Um, so something I really wanted to kind of dive into also is the current state of the world. So you constantly will hear this phrase from everyone. The world's going to hell in a handbasket or, you know, we're in the apocalyptic times. I remember a time in my life where it really felt like that and society now and everything, I do feel like we're in a really turbulent, strange, tribalistic area. Um, You two being a little older, is this current world that we're in as bad as it seems to be? Or do you guys remember times in your life where it's like, well, in the eighties, it was really bad, you know, cause right now it's like doom and gloom. I've, so I, I, I like this question. Um, I've, I flip flop sometimes, um, because I, I'll look back and go, well, we grew up in the age of the cold war and, and stuff like that. And shoot, politicians have been corrupt since like money was involved. Yeah. Money involved in anything and you're going to have co- corruption. Um, and so I look back and, you know, there, there are some days that I think yes. And then some days that I think no, not so much. I can tell you this one thing that I would love to ask somebody, and I'm going to ask my mother-in-law the next time I get a chance to talk to her is, I don't know if you're like this, but I like, I look back at this younger generation and go, Oh my gosh, it's, it's over. 
like we're it's this is the end they they have no um no work ethic there's you know their their ideas are just absolutely ridiculous sometimes you got it so easy you got the internet you got this phone in the palm of your hand you didn't have to do this you don't play outside you may see it all the time there's memes of people in my generation going gen z really you know and you know i'm generation x I, I always want to ask people in older generations going, do you feel the same as I'm feeling right now? Like I'm terrified for the future. Uh, but like about your generation. Is yeah. That- did they feel like that about my generation? Now we've got computers and oh, I've got a car that's an automatic. Now I'm automatically lazy because I don't mm-hmm. know how to drive a stick shift and stuff like that. And so I don't know. I like I'll, I'll flip flop on that. Um, I think that it's just, I think it's just, uh, the ebb and flow of life. I don't know. I mean, shoot, my, my grandmother on my mom's side was Jehovah's Witness. I mean, the Jehovah's Witness has been saying that the, uh, the end of the world was happening like, all the time. 1975, when my grandmother passed away, that was the end of the world yeah. for Jehovah's Witnesses. That was one of the days. Not 2012. It was 1975. Yeah, that's, that's well, been, guess what? We kept going. Been going on forever. <laughs> and I, uh, I used to be very politically conservative, but basically I'm fiscally conservative (laughs) and socially more liberal. So, you know, maybe kind of a libertarian. I, I just keep your goddamn hands out of my pockets. You know, you're, you're taking all the freaking money and you don't even know what the fuck you're spending (laughs) it on, you know, or where it's going. But probably the last five years I've, because I used to get mad as fuck over this shit, you know. It, it pissed me off to no end. And to now, I'm to the point where I don't even listen or look at the news anymore. I don't care. As long as you people don't blow up the fucking world till after I'm gone, I really don't care what you do anymore because you're not going to do what I want anyways, you know. So that's just kind of my view of politics now. I, You know... They, they say your vote counts, and I'm sure it does in the end. But but when they keep electing the same assholes over and over and over and over for 40 fucking years, they're the people that caused the fucking problem. You, you can't tell me there's not two better people than Trump and Biden in this fucking country to run it? <laughs> really? That's what you're telling me. That's what you, you fuckers come up with the last two goddamn, you know, times. It drives me crazy because I, quite often, I will vote um, libertarian, but honestly, I vote for the person that I think is going to represent the majority as best as possible. And when I say the majority, you know, I'm the kind of person that, um, this is how I tell my, what I've told my kids. I want you to vote like this affects you personally. Vote like your, you know, your, your brother is trans. Vote like your mom just crossed the border. Vote like, you know, you're a, you're a independent business owner and you're going to lose everything that this happens. Just Anything that might affect any human in in this country, that's how she, you should be voting. You shouldn't be voting for the things that you want only because you're not the only person that exists on the planet. This is my stinky opinion, okay? We know, you know, how opinions are. Everybody has them. It's like assholes, you know? We all have them. They all stink. Well, and I, th- I think the most important <clears throat> thing and something that I don't... Uh, think exists a lot in our society right now because 
everyone argues over it. It's not even debate. It's argues and it's over social media. And so when I'm seeing you on social media, you're not a human to me. You're just the opposite team. And I want to say whatever I want to win. And that's what I meant by kind of tribalistic. It's like, I've come from a point I was super, so I was super conservative up till like 20. Then I went super liberal from like 21 to 28. And I was super liberal most of my life. Actually, almost didn't marry my husband because I found out he was a Republican. Really? Um, and, and and I realized now I was just naive, mm-hmm. just naive. I just, I didn't know enough, but yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I went kind of like Grant, I'm like socially liberal and fiscally conservative, but I find myself so politically homeless because I think both the far right and the far left are, it's these few people that are really loud to me that are just not listening to each other. No one listens to understand. They listen to, to respond. respond. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. And and I actually used to argue, I used to argue with people on social media, especially during um, the cannabis campaign here in Utah. Um, it's it doesn't do any of us any good because nobody it's, it's so easy to make it very impersonal. Like Mm -hmm. quite often we wouldn't have these conversations face to face because you'd be afraid and you might get the shit kicked out of you too, you know, and maybe rightly so who knows. And so I don't know. Sometimes I feel like social media was just the beginning of the end. We have access to so much, but we're also being um, censored at such an incredible rate that you're like you just your head's spinning you just don't ever know yeah yeah and then you have the whole <laughs> ai deep fake that's coming out to mm-hmm. where now you don't even know if what you're watching it's let's real. say they do a trump press conference or a biden press conference you don't even know if that's a real press conference it could be a deep fake imposed face and all sorts of different it's shit. Awful. yeah now it's just let me do my photography finish out my ears and leave me the fuck alone and i i dipped my toe into that political world for a very short time and and it was terrible because i came from a place where i didn't know shit about politics i only knew what i learned from my parents that's why it was such a liberal you know i learned what what i did from my parents and then of course as i get older i was actually talking to somebody i was working with and he looked at me he says you are the strangest republican i've ever met (laughs) and i went what the heck are you talking about? It's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I, I realized that I leaned more that way, but I also kind of like the middle. I like to, I, I, I like to pride myself on being the kind of person that can take in new information and I can change my mind based on that. Um, cannabis, <laughs> cannabis was one of those things, you know, it was like, I did it when I was a kid it was okay. It, I, I, you know, I didn't turn to meth or anything like that. Um, but you know, I learned over time with new information that I think it's a superfood. It should be a superfood. Everybody should be taking it. We're deficient. <laughs> deficient. Every single one of us. We right. need all maybe, maybe we'd all be chill if we'd all, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some people get a little crazy too, but yeah. So I, I do, I pride myself on being somebody who can take in new information and make a change and we're just it doesn't seem like anybody's interested in that. And I'm an anomaly too. My son was talking about it. He's like, 
he's talking about my youngest son. He's like talking about wanting to learn how to use a rifle really well. And you're talking about like AR-15 type rifles, you know, your combat kind of rifles. And, you know, hiking with uh, full combat gear because he just wants to get fit and strong. But he's an environmentalist also in the same hand, you know. And then he said something to somebody online, once again, on social media. I think it was the trans um, subject. And the, the, he's like, it's, it's a very complicated subject. And it's just, it's just not black and white. And they're like, well, so you hate trans people, don't you? He's right. like, no, I don't. I, I, I don't care either way. Just live your life. Don't force it on yeah, me. Force it, it on it me. Just, and, it you seems know. like the extremes are, are what, what is ruling yes. rather than the common, find common ground. Yes. You know, um, yeah, back in the 70s when I was growing up, you know, we were throwing trash, you know, but but finally the subconscious kicks in and say, hey, that ain't right, you know. And now I see it when I go out to these birding places and stuff like that, mattresses and loads of fucking garbage because these assholes can't take it to the dump. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? So, and also, you know, I watch them destroying all the land where the animals were, the birds were, you're destroying their migration routes and shit like that. And I never thought about this stuff before. And now I took up this photography and I'm like, no, knock it off. Go build your fucking warehouse somewhere <laughs> else. You know? Change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people people it's it's weird because I think people forget to look up, right? A lot of the times when people do things, they're doing it so they can say they they did it. Right. But the thing is, is it's like in life, it's about the experiences. Right. It's so it's like, stop looking at the damn ground while you're walking. Who cares if you walked 18 miles? Okay, cool. You did it for fitness. What did you see? What did you see in that 18 miles? Did you look at a tree? Did you look down a cliff? Did you look at like the frogs in the water or the little waterfalls? Like people forget what's around them. It's like one time I went to a store, right? And I just, this pop, this thought just popped in my head. I was like, you know what? I've been to the store probably like 70 times now. And then I just looked up, right? Because I'm used to like staring on the ground just because I want to get to my goal. I'm like, I've got to get where I'm going, right? And I just looked up and I was like, holy shit. I actually didn't even realize this is what it looks like here. Right? It's like I've gone to the store I 70 different times. Right yeah, it's because you just, <laughs> it's because you put, and that's, and that's how I feel about this world, right? Everybody gets stuck in these phones and they're looking at all these bad things because now you can see them. Right. Yeah. You can see them. You get stuck in this and it makes you depressed. I think right? that's, that is something that might um, contribute to people, especially maybe in my my generation, that it is worse than it was when I was younger because mm-hmm. we have access to more information. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have in- we didn't have instant access to everything. Yes. I'm just here and for now the it's like I can pick up my <laughs> phone right now and. You know, scroll through a million different freaking things in two mm-hmm. minutes that I didn't know about. You yeah. know, they did this interesting study, and um, when I was a child, I was out riding bikes, exploring my neighborhood, all this. And they took these children and they put them in rooms, and they said, "We want you to draw a map of your neighborhood of how you get to just the store." None of them could do it. Mm-mm. I could do that back in the day. I'm sure you guys could. Yeah. But and then they started looking into this and I've seen this because I work with youth and I work with youth and transporting them when they get on the bus, man, mm-hmm. bam, they're in this phone 
until they're at their destination and then getting off the bus. They're still Still walking. I have to tell them, hey, watch where you're walking, man. You're going to fall down the stairs. I think. And the dopamine rush that these create for children when you take it away. Oh, Oh, my God. But I'm experiencing it myself, too, though. Like I've become I'm sad to admit I'm addicted to my phone and I'm addicted to social media and I'm trying to break that addiction. I've actually been on Facebook since 2007 when my husband was deployed. I actually thought it was silly. I used MySpace. That's how I communicated Mm -hmm. with my husband. We got instant messaging, you know, and stuff like that. And so I was telling my, my youngest, I was like, oh my gosh, I am having such a hard time putting this phone down and I don't focus on anything anymore. I used to read. I was an avid reader. I can only read a book for 15 minutes and I'm looking at my phone again. Oh my God. We are, we are trained in this quick snippet, quick snippet, scroll, death scroll. And I, I had to come to the realization too, that I was addicted, um, because Apple put out this little thing like every month it would show your screen time. That's and what Facebook does. Oh I my set it up. God. And <laughs> I looked at the time and I was like, okay, you're going to turn off notifications from this. I stopped my photography because I'm too busy on my stupid phone or mm-hmm. watching a device. I walk through my house and every room I go to, I have a television. I have a dozen TVs in my room and there are five of them in one room. Okay. <laughs> Sports bar. <laughs> Marcus knows he's been down there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I've gotten to be crazy when it comes to devices. And, and also, um, my son told me, I love him so much. I love my kids. They're just the greatest. They're just the greatest humans. I know they have, have their, their struggles and, and everything and, and their flaws, but they're some of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> and they're so wise (laughs) they're so wise beyond their years but i love talking to him and he's like you know you need to practice being bored Mm -hmm. because i haven't been bored in such a long time i'm so used to having this goddamn thing in my face i apologize that i some people find that term um, more offensive than the f word so uh, this damned thing (laughs) in my face all the time and you know it was the 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 beginning of the end for me as far as um reading and doing some of my hobbies Netflix. Mm, Netflix sweet. destroyed me. The, the first time, I remember the first series that I binge watched. And, like, it, it ruined me. It, mm. it did. The ability to just go one right after another after another. It was like the dopamine hit, like, mm. constant. Yeah. And so I'm, well, I'm working on, um, on being separated from it. On the device. phone, I didn't really have to worry about it as much because it's truck driving. Little hard when you're hauling a hundred thousand mm-hmm. down the road yeah, to be absolutely. scrolling on your I, phone. I hope you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I was never, you know, at work. Uh, if I had a break or you know downtime or whatever, sure. But that might be fifteen minutes, say a half hour or something, you know, sure. But then once back to work and no. But it, there are kids now that are coming to work where I'm working and they're just the whole freaking time. One of my, one of my son's friends actually watches movies on his phone while he's driving. He's a salesman. Yeah. Yeah. His, and now that he has a baby on the way, his wife and his um, mother have really come down on him. He never, I, yeah. I drive down the road and see, cause I can look down in the cars and I see them doing it, you know? And I started that too, with my razor, you know, first time I could, I could install an app with games. 
at the stoplight, you know, playing the game. I tell everyone, if you want a mind opening experience, go just, you don't have to enter the career, go ride along with someone who has a CDL. The things I have seen people do in their vehicles is mind boggling from, I've seen sex acts. I've seen makeup being done. I've seen people reading books going down the road. Cereal out of a bowl. I I saw a gentleman with um, some sort of a bowl and a no kidding razor. It wasn't an electric razor. He was shaving his face driving down the street. I'm like, really? I've seen it all now. There's nothing. Nothing drives me more nuts. You're at a stoplight. And the person in front of you on their phone, you're sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, by the time they go, you get stuck Mm -hmm. at the red light again. I want to kick their ass. You know what's so (laughs) funny about that, though, Grant, is you used to, like, person who was the lead of the pack at the light distracted on their phone. So the person behind them would honk. What I've started to notice is everybody's on their damn phone. You can miss the whole damn light. No one even notices. Well, and then when I honk, those people are angry with me. I'm the one that did something wrong. It really really upsets me. I actually, I was at a a coffee place once in the drive-thru, and I did it. I felt like such an asshole. I was on my phone. The line was long. There were four cars ahead of me, so I'm just, like, scrolling through my phone. I don't have any idea how long I was sitting there and all four cars were <laughs> ahead of me and there was a person behind me and they didn't even honk. They had no idea. I, I would dare say I was sitting there like that for at least a full two minutes. In a place? And I felt like a jerk. I bought her coffee because I felt like such yeah. an asshole. I'm like, tell the lady behind me I'm so sorry. <laughs> and a place that this comes into play that I think is very detrimental and I fell prey to this as well. Um... Me and my ex, we're still really great friends, everything like that. But one thing that I was very bad with her is she would try communicating to me. And what would I be doing on this damn piece of shit? Scrolling through, uh-huh, honey, instead of actively engagingly listening to her. So I've gotten very disciplined that if I, because um, it was like you were saying earlier, um, Lisa was saying that she respects people when they give their time so if that person's engaged with you talking to you put the phone down how many mm-hmm. restaurants can you go to and you see a couple they're I've, not even communicating i've seen this guy and this girl they're at a pizza joint hottest girl i think i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and, <laughs> and this, this guy's on his phone the whole fucking time i don't think he said one word to her the whole time and i was like are you serious yeah. and I want to ask you a question because you have younger children. Mm-hmm. Does that scare you with them growing up with technology? Or do you plan on putting like restrictions in place with like screen times and things like that? Or are you just open to ebb and flow, let it go? I think it's important to add different things in there, right? It's like, I'm not going to sit here and try to control my time, my kids' things. The reason being is it comes back to the conversation we're having earlier. You start putting restrictions on things, the more they're going to try to figure out how to do it, mm-hmm. right? So at this point, it's like where you have important conversations. It's like your phone doesn't have to watch your kid. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But my my daughter, yeah, she has a cell phone. She got it at a very young age. She's six years old. Did I give my three-year-old a cell phone? I'm like, hell no, not after that experience, right? But how I got her to put it down is I went and spent some time with her. Went and got her a bike, took her on some damn hikes. We went on vacation. Now it's like, 
if I'm like, hey, let's play, the first thing she does is just put her phone down and she stops forgetting. Mm-hmm. Like, forgets it's there. The thing is, is that, like, as a society now, I feel like we have allowed devices to watch our children. Yes. You know, and, and it's okay because everybody needs help. Of course, like, when you look at younger ages, same concept, different devices. But this is the world we live in. We live in a world of cell phones. We live in a world of technology. If you, if of course, like, if you're... You have somebody, right? And they're just doing nothing but social media. Does my child have social media on her phone? Hell no. She does not. Does she have learning games? Absolutely. Does she ha- like have accessibility to YouTube? Yes. It's child YouTube and I monitor it. Why? It's not because I don't want my kid to, to be like, oh, I'm so obsessed, but because people are sick, right? There's people who will figure out ways to change things and then they show up on kids' things. Yeah. I monitor these things, not because I want to control my child, but because I want her to be safe, mm-hmm. right? And if I don't have these conversations with her and have important, like, hey, yes, you do have access to a device. This is the world we live in, but hey, you know that you can Google things that are informational, right? You, But you should also know that there are predators. You should not be talking to random people on there. Like, yes, you do have this device. Do not abuse this device. I've actually had to educate um, my um, my stepdad on that the dangers of mm-hmm. talking to people online. <laughs> yeah, because he's newly widowed, you know, mm-hmm. and and he's feeling alone. Um, yeah, we have to educate him. I'm so glad you say that because it's not only the younger generation that fall prey to mm-hmm. people not showing who they actually are. I just had a cybersecurity professional on on Thursday. We did an episode and he was talking and we kind of got talking about this and it was like, you get the sicko 37 year old man that's playing as a 14 year old female to get close to this female. But on that flip coin, you have a lot of recently widowed elder people who get totally taken advantage of. I had one right. in... Uh, you think you're talking to some girl and you're talking to some dude. 50-year-old dude in his underwear, some yeah. little fat well, fucker, you know? <laughs> he actually had... Um, I, I'll say woman, just because that's all we know about the the person who was reaching out to him, um, actually sent him uh, $142,000 mm-hmm. in his bank account. You know, and, and we we talked to him. We talked to him over and over again. It's like, dude, it's not real. It's yep. not real. And so he fortunately listened to us, contacted the bank, and explained to him what happened, and he actually had a detective contact him. That person's on the run. Supposedly a, you know, former porn star from Australia, and she was, you know, 50 years old, and mm-hmm. here, I'm a real person. Let me send you this money. Yeah. And <laughs> Somebody from I like Nambia, your, you know. Yeah. I definitely like your approach with your kids because you don't want to completely, un, like, alienate your children from the cell phones um, because everybody has them, mm-hmm. okay? It's just Other kids have them. You're going to make them weird, and you're also going to make them, like, access them in secret with their friends and they're mm-hmm. going to be accessing content that you can't monitor. Mm-hmm. So I really, I like the approach. I wish I knew that kind of stuff when my kids were, um, getting, when we were getting into the cell phone age, um, because it was so convenient to me for my kids to have the cell phones mm-hmm. that we had an age threshold. 13 was the age we were going to allow, uh, a cell phone. And then it was like my husband's deployed. Now I'm giving it to my eight-year-old. And then it just became the norm just, for mm-hmm. kids to have their cell phones. It was yeah. awful. And it's like, <laughs> I, I want my kids to be able to uh, get a hold of me, of course. But I think just with anything, it's like education is key, right? It just, it just 
it just is. And, and I'm going to be honest. It's like, okay, I could not give my kids phones, but guess what? When they turn like 15, they're not going to know what the hell the world's about. Right. It's, we progress so quickly that if it like, it's like somebody who goes to prison, right? It's so you go to prison, you're there for a few years, but by the time that you come out of prison, statistic wise, most people end up back in per- like prison because they don't know what the world's like. Yeah. They don't know how to function it. And, and it gets to a point that they don't want to, they would rather go back because that's what they know. The and within you know. that few years, so many things can change and you've just been isolated from it. And that's kind of how I like, I think like, I'm not, I'm not a huge, like whatever my phone's my phone. I like to get on there. I watch memes, but truthfully there was a point where I was super obsessed with it and I started realizing I was like, Oh my God, this shit's fake. And it's making me feel awful. Right. It's like, I don't, I don't follow mom pages. Okay. I don't follow fitness pages or house pages, nothing like that. Because you know what? Like, thank you for your unrealistic expectations in my life. I love feeling like shit now. Like, you well, know, and I, I can't even imagine with you as uh, two females, me and Grant don't have to suffer through this as much, but then we kind of do get this on a flip side because back in the seventies to eighties, there was supermodels and magazines, things like that, that people were comparing themselves to now the amount of filters and fake mm-hmm. stuff that it's people so put on them. And these young women coming up thinking they have to look like that or they're not beautiful. And then men, and younger boys thinking that women have to look like, like that, that to be beautiful. And, and it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. Expectations. Yeah. I, I always tell my, my husband and my kids, um, that the biggest problem I have with breast implants is not because women want to have larger breasts, whatever, do whatever makes you feel happy. It's the unreal, the unrealistic expectation that men have as to as to what a woman's breast is supposed mm-hmm. to look like. That's the only part I have a problem. And with. And it changes once you got kids. I'm saying <laughs> it changes. <laughs> like that's and that's the hardest thing about things. The, is the like, same yes. goes with you know women or men for that matter that you see online. Is there so many filters, AI? Just like it's unrealistic, and then you're disappointed mm-hmm. when you see the real thing, and it's it's terrible. It's affecting men too. Men are men are starting to, you know, get more um, fillers and you know all kinds of injections, and maybe even like you know butt implants or whatever. They're they're having more and more surgeries to make them look more attractive. Yeah, yeah, and you have this culture that is being created through these social media sites nowadays. And so back when I was a child, the teachers, my parents would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'd be like, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a cop. I want to be an astronaut. You know what I hear from all the kids on my bus now? I want to be an influencer. Mm -hmm. That is a huge thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't. That's the equivalent to, um, I want to be a rock star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and actually, I, th- I I think that it's uh, more realistic to achieve rock star status. Than I think it is. I I totally <laughs> a, a, agree. An with influencer you. that that can earn a good living. Mm-hmm. So. I, and I tell them, I always tell them, it's not far. I mean, I don't want to bash your dreams. You go for what you want, but have a backup plan. <laughs> yeah, bring it back to reality too. That like, there the likelihood isn't huge of you achieving influence status well shoot i've got a i've got a nephew who's in college now but um at one point at the 
age, as, as a teenager, I don't even know the exact age, he was pulling in $10,000 a month by just playing video games on mm-hmm. YouTube. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. You know, he's going to college. It's not what he's doing for the rest of his life. But for a very short time, he was able to, to make some cash, help with college, buy a car or whatever, whatever he wanted to do. And, and also, though, and I've seen people fall prey to this. You create a YouTube channel that's successful. You create an Instagram influence that's successful. You say one wrong thing. You're you misstep mm-hmm. somewhere. Your money your livelihood that you built is gone. It's gone in uh, seconds. Uh, Nobody has to. Know, there's there's no, uh, uh, what do I want to say? It's uh, burn. Oh, no, eventually, no eventually no it's going to crash. You know, <laughs> the, the, nothing lasts forever. So eventually it's going to crash, you know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we're at two hours and 40 minutes in this conversation <laughs> oh, and it flew by. It, I, it felt like minutes. I want, I consider all of you guys in this room, uh, really good friends. And I just want to end this episode with saying, don't, if you're out there, don't judge like friendship based on age. I have friends that are 80 years old and I have friends that are 18 years old. And I think every one of us can learn something from each other. And, you know, just... When you're out there in the world, like I always say at the end of these, be happy, humble, and humorous, and just be kind to each other. Thank you guys for coming on and having this conversation with me. Thank you. Catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.